This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of The Skull by Philip K. Dick. It's read by Scott Miller for the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast. It runs 58 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward. What is this opportunity? Conger asked. Go on. I'm interested. The room was silent. All faces were fixed on Conger, still in the drab prison uniform. The speaker leaned forward slowly. Before you went to prison, your trading business was paying well. All illegal, all very profitable. Now you have nothing except the prospect of another six years in a cell. Conger scowled. There is a certain situation, very important to this council, that requires your peculiar abilities. Also, it is a situation you might find interesting. You were a hunter, were you not? You've done a great deal of trapping, hiding in the bushes, waiting at night for the game. I imagine hunting must be a source of satisfaction to you, the chase, the stalking. Conger sighed. His lips twisted. All right, he said. Leave that out. Get to the point. Who do you want me to kill? The speaker smiled. All in proper sequence, he said softly. The car slid to a stop. It was night. There was no light anywhere along the street. Conger looked out. Where are we? What is this place? The hand of the guard pressed into his arm. Come, through that door. Conger stepped down onto the damp sidewalk. The guard came swiftly after him, and then the speaker. Conger took a deep breath of the cold air. He studied the dim outline of the building rising up before them. I know this place. I've seen it before. He squinted, his eyes growing accustomed to the dark. Suddenly, he became alert. This is... Yes, the first church, the speaker walked toward the steps. We're expected. Expected? Here? Yes. The speaker mounted the stairs. You know we're not allowed in their churches, especially with guns. He stopped. Two armed soldiers loomed up ahead, one on each side. All right. The speaker looked up at them. They nodded. The door of the church was open. Conger could see other soldiers inside, standing about. Young soldiers with large eyes, gazing at the icons and holy images. I see, he said. It was necessary, the speaker said. As you know, we have been singularly unfortunate in the past in our relations with the First Church. This won't help. But it's worth it. You will see. They passed through the hall and into the main chamber where the altarpiece was and the kneeling places. The speaker scarcely glanced at the altar as they passed by. He pushed open a small side door and beckoned Conger through. In here, 
we have to hurry. The faithful will be flocking in soon. Conger entered, blinking. They were in a small chamber, low-ceilinged with dark panels of old wood. There was a smell of ashes and smoldering spices in the room. He sniffed. What's that? The smell. Cups on the wall. I don't know. The speaker crossed impatiently to the far side. According to our information, it is hidden here by this. Conger looked around the room. He saw books and papers, holy signs and images. A strange low shiver went through him. Does my job involve any one of the church? If it does, the speaker turned, astonished. Can it be that you believe in the founder? Is it possible? A hunter? A killer? No, of course not. All their business about resignation to death, nonviolence. What is it then? Conger shrugged. I've been taught not to mix with such as these. They have strange abilities, and you can't reason with them. The speaker studied Conger thoughtfully. You have the wrong idea. It is no one here that we have in mind. We found that killing them only tends to increase their numbers. Then why come here? Let's leave. No, we came for something important, something you will need to identify your man. Without it, you won't be able to find him. A trace of a smile crossed the speaker's face. We don't want you to kill the wrong person. It's too important. I don't make mistakes. Conger's chest rose. Listen, speaker. This is an unusual situation, the speaker said. You see, the person you are after, the person that we are sending you to find, is known only by certain objects here. They are the only traces, the only means of identification. Without them... What are they? He came toward the speaker. The speaker moved to one side. Look, he said. He drew a sliding wall away, showing a dark square hole. In there. Conger squatted down, staring in. He frowned. A skull. A skeleton. The man you are after has been dead for two centuries, the speaker said. This is all that remains of him, and this is all you have with which to find him. For a long time, Conger said nothing. He stared down at the bones, dimly visible in the recess of the wall. How could a man, dead centuries, be killed? How could he be stalked, brought down? Conger was a hunter, a man who had lived as he pleased, where he pleased. He had kept himself alive by trading, bringing furs and pelts in from the provinces on his own ship, riding at high speed, slipping through the customs line around Earth. He had hunted in the great mountains of the moon. He had stalked through empty Martian cities. He had explored. The speaker said, Soldier, take these objects and have them carried to the car. Don't lose any part of them. The soldier went into the cupboard, reaching gingerly, squatting on his heels. It is my hope, the speaker continued softly to Conger, 
that you will demonstrate your loyalty to us now. There are always ways for citizens to restore themselves, to show their devotion to their society. For you, I think this would be a very good chance. I seriously doubt that a better one will come, and for your efforts, there will be quite a restitution, of course. The two men looked at each other, Conger thin, unkempt, the speaker immaculate in his uniform. I understand you, Conger said. I mean, I understand this part, about the chance. But how can a man who has been dead two centuries be... I'll explain later, the speaker said. Right now, we have to hurry. The soldier had gone out with the bones, wrapped in a blanket held carefully in his arms. The speaker walked to the door. Come, they've already discovered that we've broken in here, and they'll be coming at any moment. They hurried down the damp steps to the waiting car. A second later, the driver lifted the car up into the air, above the housetops. The speaker settled back in the seat. The first church has an interesting past, he said. I suppose you are familiar with it, but I'd like to speak of a few points that are of relevancy to us. It was in the twentieth century that the movement began, during one of the periodic wars. The movement developed rapidly, feeding on the general sense of futility, the realization that each war was breeding greater war, with no end in sight. The movement posed a simple answer to the problem. Without military preparations, weapons, there could be no war. And without machinery and complex scientific technocracy, there could be no weapons. The movement preached that you couldn't stop war by planning for it. They preached that man was losing to his machinery and science, that it was getting away from him, pushing him into greater and greater wars. Down with society, they shouted. Down with factories and science. A few more wars and there wouldn't be much left of the world. The founder was an obscure person from a small town in the American Middle West. We don't even know his name. All we know is that one day he appeared, preaching a doctrine of non-violence, non-resistance, no fighting, no paying taxes for guns, no research except for medicine. Live out your life quietly, tending your garden, staying out of public affairs. Mind your own business. Be obscure, unknown, poor. Give away most of your possessions. Leave the city. At least that was what developed from what he told the people. The car dropped down and landed on a roof. The founder preached this doctrine, or the germ of it. There's no telling how much the faithful have added themselves. The local authorities picked him up at once, of course. Apparently, they were convinced that he meant it. He was never released. He was put to death, and his body buried secretly. It seemed that the cult was finished. The speaker smiled. Unfortunately, some of his disciples reported seeing him after the date of his death. The rumors spread. 
He had conquered death. He was divine. It took hold, grew, and here we are today with a first church obstructing all social progress, destroying society, sowing the seeds of anarchy. But the wars, Conger said, about them. The wars? Well, there were no more wars. It must be acknowledged that the elimination of war was the direct result of nonviolence practiced on a general scale. But we can take a more objective view of war today. What was so terrible about it? War had a profound selective value, perfectly in accord with the teachings of Darwin and Mendel and others. Without war, the mass of useless, incompetent mankind, without training or intelligence, is permitted to grow and expand unchecked. War acted to reduce their numbers, like storms and earthquakes and droughts. It was nature's way of eliminating the unfit. Without war, the lower elements of mankind have increased all out of proportion. They threaten the educated few, those with scientific knowledge and training, the ones equipped to direct society. They have no regard for science or a scientific society based on reason, and this movement seeks to aid and abet them. Only when scientists are in full control can the... He looked at his watch and then kicked the car door open. I'll tell you the rest as we walk. They crossed the dark roof. Doubtless you now know whom these bones belong to, who it is that we are after. He has been dead just two centuries now, this ignorant man from the Middle West, this founder. The tragedy is that the authorities of the time acted too slowly. They allowed him to speak, to get his message across. He was allowed to preach, to start his cult, and once such a thing is underway, there's no stopping it. But what if he had died before he preached? What if none of his doctrines had ever been spoken? It took only a moment for him to utter them, that we know. They say he spoke just once, just one time, then the authorities came, taking him away. He offered no resistance. The incident was small. The speaker turned to Conger. Small, but we're reaping the consequences of it today. They went inside the building. Inside, the soldiers had already laid out the skeleton on a table. The soldiers stood around it, their young faces intense. Conger went over to the table, pushing past them. He bent down, staring at the bones. So these are his remains, he murmured. The founder. The church has hidden them for two centuries. Quite so, the speaker said. But now we have them. Come along down the hall. They went across the room to a door. The speaker pushed it open. Technicians looked up. Conger saw machinery, whirring and turning, benches and retorts. In the center of the room was a gleaming crystal cage. The speaker handed a slam gun to Conger. 
The important thing to remember is that the skull must be saved and brought back for comparison and proof. Aim low at the chest. Conger weighed the gun in his hands. It feels good, he said. I know this gun. That is, I've seen them before, but I never used one. The speaker nodded. You will be instructed on the use of the gun and the operation of the cage. You will be given all data we have on the time and location. The exact spot was a place called Hudson's Field, about 1960, in a small community outside Denver, Colorado. And don't forget, the only means of identification you will have will be the skull. There are visible characteristics of the front teeth, especially the left incisor. Conger listened absently. He was watching two men in white carefully wrapping the skull in a plastic bag. They tied it and carried it into the crystal cage. And if I should make a mistake, pick the wrong man, then find the right one. Don't come back until you succeed in reaching this founder, and you can't wait for him to start speaking. That's what we must avoid. You must act in advance. Take chances. Shoot as soon as you think you've found him. He'll be someone unusual, probably a stranger in the area. Apparently, he wasn't known. Conger listened dimly. Do you think you have it all now? The speaker asked. Yes, I think so. Conger entered the crystal cage and sat down, placing his hands on the wheel. Good luck, the speaker said. We'll be awaiting the outcome. There's some philosophical doubt as to whether one can alter the past. This should answer the question once and for all. Conger fingered the controls of the cage. By the way, the speaker said, don't try to use this cage for purposes not anticipated in your job. We have a constant trace on it. If we want it back, we can get it back. Good luck. Conger said nothing. The cage was sealed. He raised his finger and touched the wheel control. He turned the wheel carefully. He was still staring at the plastic bag when the room outside vanished. For a long time, there was nothing at all, nothing beyond the crystal mesh of the cage. Thoughts rushed through Conger's mind, helter-skelter. How would he know the man? How could he be certain in advance? What had he looked like? What was his name? How had he acted before he spoke? Would he be an ordinary person or some strange outlandish crank? Conger picked up the slam gun and held it against his cheek. The metal of the gun was cool and smooth. He practiced moving the sight. It was a beautiful gun, the kind of gun he could fall in love with. If he had owned such a gun in the Martian desert, on the long nights when he had lain cramped and numbed with cold, waiting for things that move through the darkness. He put the gun down and adjusted the meter readings of the cage. The spiraling mist was beginning to condense and settle. 
All at once, forms wavered and fluttered around him. Colors, sounds, movements filtered through the crystal wire. He clamped the controls off and stood up. He was on a ridge overlooking a small town. It was high noon. The air was crisp and bright. A few automobiles moved along a road. Off in the distance were some level fields. Conger went to the door and stepped outside. He sniffed the air. Then he went back into the cage. He stood before the mirror over the shelf examining his features. He had trimmed his beard. They had not got him to cut it off. And his hair was neat. He was dressed in the clothing of the middle 20th century. The odd collar and coat, the shoes of animal hide. In his pocket was money of the times. That was important. Nothing more was needed. Nothing except his ability, his special cunning. But he had never used it in such a way before. He walked down the road toward the town. The first things he noticed were the newspapers on the stands. April 5, 1961. He was not too far off. He looked around him. There was a filling station, a garage, some taverns, and a ten-cent store. Down the street was a grocery store and some public buildings. A few minutes later, he mounted the stairs of the little public library and passed through the doors into the warm interior. The librarian looked up, smiling. Good afternoon, she said. He smiled, not speaking because his words would not be correct, accented and strange probably. He went over to a table and sat down by a heap of magazines. For a moment, he glanced through them. Then he was on his feet again. He crossed the room to a wide rack against the wall. His heart began to beat heavily. Newspapers. Weeks on end. He took a roll of them over to the table and began to scan them quickly. The print was odd. The letters strange. Some of the words were unfamiliar. He set the papers aside and searched farther. At last he found what he wanted. He carried the Cherrywood Gazette to the table and opened it to the first page. He found what he wanted. Prisoner hangs self. An unidentified man held by the county sheriff's office for suspicion of criminal syndicalism was found dead this morning by... He finished the item. It was vague, uninforming. He needed more. He carried the gazette back to the racks and then, after a moment's hesitation, approached the librarian. More? he asked. More papers. Old ones. She frowned. How old? Which papers? Months old. And before? Of the gazette? This is all we have. What did you want? What are you looking for? Maybe I can help you. He was silent. You might find older issues at the Gazette office, the woman said, taking off her glasses. Why don't you try there? But if you'd tell me, maybe I could help you. He went out. The Gazette office was down a side street. The sidewalk was broken and cracked. He went inside. A heater glowed in the corner of the small office. A heavy-set man stood up and came slowly over to the counter. What do you want, mister? he said. 
old papers a month or more. To buy? You want to buy them? Yes. He held out some of the money he had. The man stared. Sure, he said. Sure, wait a minute. He went quickly out of the room. When he came back, he was staggering under the weight of his armload, his face red. Here are some, he grunted. Took what I could find. Covers the whole year, and if you want more... Conger carried the papers outside. He sat down by the road and began to go through them. What he wanted was four months back, in December. It was a tiny item, so small that he almost missed it. His hands trembled as he scanned it, using the small dictionary for some of the archaic terms. Man arrested for unlicensed demonstration. An unidentified man, who refused to give his name, was picked up in Cooper Creek by special agents of the sheriff's office, according to Sheriff Duff. It was said the man was recently noticed in this area and had been watched continually. It was Cooper Creek, December 1960. His heart pounded. That was all he needed to know. He stood up, shaking himself stamping his feet on the cold ground. The sun had moved across the sky to the very edge of the hills. He smiled. Already he had discovered the exact time and place. Now he needed only to go back, perhaps to November, to Cooper Creek. He walked back through the main section of town, past the library, past the grocery store. It would not be hard. The hard part was over. He would go there, rent a room, prepare to wait until the man appeared. He turned the corner. A woman was coming out of a doorway, loaded down with packages. Conger stepped aside to let her pass. The woman glanced at him. Suddenly, her face turned white. She stared, her mouth open. Conger hurried on. He looked back. What was wrong with her? The woman was still staring. She had dropped the packages to the ground. He increased his speed. He turned a second corner and went up a side street. When he looked back again, the woman had come to the entrance of the street and was starting after him. A man joined her, and the two of them began to run toward him. He lost them and left the town, striding quickly, easily, up into the hills at the edge of town. When he reached the cage, he stopped. What had happened? Was it something about his clothing? His dress? He pondered. Then, as the sun set, he stepped into the cage. Conger sat before the wheel. For a moment, he waited, his hands resting lightly on the control. Then he turned the wheel just a little, following the control readings carefully. The grayness settled down around him, but not for very long. The man looked him over critically. You better come inside, he said. Out of the cold. Thanks. Conger went gratefully through the open door into the living room. It was warm and close from the heat of the little kerosene heater in the corner. A woman, large and shapeless in her flowered dress, came from the kitchen she and the man studied him critically. It's a good room, the woman said. 
I am Mrs. Appleton. It's got heat. You need that this time of year. Yes. He nodded, looking around. You want to eat with us? What? You want to eat with us? The man's brows knitted. You're not a foreigner, are you, mister? No. He smiled. I was born in this country. Quite far west, though. California? No. He hesitated. In Oregon. What's it like up there? Mrs. Appleton asked. I hear there's a lot of trees and green. It's so barren here. I come from Chicago myself. That's the Middle West, the man said to her. You ain't no foreigner. Oregon isn't foreign either, Conger said. It's part of the United States. The man nodded absently. He was staring at Conger's clothing. That's a funny suit you got on, mister, he said. Where'd you get that? Conger was lost. He shifted uneasily. It's a good suit, he said. Maybe I'd better go some other place if you don't want me here. They both raised their hands protestingly. The woman smiled at him. We just have to look out for those reds. You know, the government is always warning us about them. The reds? He was puzzled. The government says they're all around. We're supposed to report anything strange or unusual. Anybody doesn't act normal. Like me? They looked embarrassed. Well, you don't look like a red to me, the man said. But we have to be careful. The Tribune says. Conger half listened. It was going to be easier than he had thought. Clearly, he would know as soon as the founder appeared. These people, so suspicious of anything different, would be buzzing and gossiping and spreading the story. All he had to do was lie low and listen. Down at the general store, perhaps, or even here, in Mrs. Appleton's boarding house. Can I see the room? he said. Certainly, Mrs. Appleton went to the stairs. I'll be glad to show it to you. They went upstairs. It was colder upstairs, but not nearly as cold as outside, nor as cold as nights on the Martian deserts. For that, he was grateful. He was walking slowly around the store, looking at the cans of vegetables, the frozen packages of fish and meat shining and clean in the open refrigerator counters. Ed Davies came toward him. Can I help you? he said. The man was a little oddly dressed and with a beard. Ed couldn't help smiling. Nothing, the man said in a funny voice, just looking. Sure, Ed said. He walked back behind the counter. Mrs. Hackett was wheeling her cart up. Who's he? She whispered. Her sharp face turned, her nose moving as if it were sniffing. I've never seen him before. I don't know. Looks funny to me. Why does he wear a beard? No one else wears a beard. Must be something the matter with him. Maybe he likes to wear a beard. I had an uncle who... Wait, Mrs. Hackett stiffened. Didn't that... What was his name? The Red, that old one. Didn't he have a beard? Marks. He had a beard. 
Ed laughed. This ain't Karl Marx. I saw a photograph of him once. Mrs. Hackett was staring at him. You did? Sure, he flushed a little. What's the matter with that? I'd sure like to know more about him, Mrs. Hackett said. I think we ought to know more for our own good. Hey, mister, want a ride? Conger turned quickly, dropping his hand to his belt. He relaxed. Two young kids in a car, a girl and a boy. He smiled at them. A ride? Sure. Conger got into the car and closed the door. Bill Willett pushed the gas and the car roared down the highway. I appreciate a ride, Conger said carefully. I was taking a walk between towns, but it was farther than I thought. Where are you from? Laura Hunt asked. She was pretty, small and dark in her yellow sweater and blue skirt. From Cooper Creek. Cooper Creek, Bill said. He frowned. That's funny. I don't remember seeing you before. Why, do you come from there? I was born there. I know everybody there. I just moved in from Oregon. From Oregon? I didn't know Oregon people had accents. Do I have an accent? You use words funny. How? I don't know. Doesn't he, Laura? You slur them, Laura said, smiling. Talk some more. I'm interested in dialects. She glanced at him, white-teethed. Conger felt his heart constrict. I have a speech impediment. Oh, her eyes widened. I'm sorry. They looked at him curiously as the car purred along. Conger, for his part, was struggling to find some way of asking them questions without seeming curious. I guess people from out of town don't come here much, he said. Strangers. No, Bill shook his head. Not very much. I'll bet I'm the first outsider for a long time. I guess so. Conger hesitated. A friend of mine, someone I know, might be coming through here. Where do you suppose I might? He stopped. Would there be anyone certain to see him? Someone I could ask, make sure I don't miss him if he comes? They were puzzled. Just keep your eyes open. Cooper Creek isn't very big. No, that's right. They drove in silence. Conger studied the outline of the girl. Probably she was the boy's mistress. Perhaps she was his trial wife. Or had they developed trial marriage back so far? He could not remember. But surely such an attractive girl would be someone's mistress by this time. She would be sixteen or so by her looks. He might ask her sometime if they ever met again. The next day, Conger went walking along the one main street of Cooper Creek. He passed the general store, the two filling stations, and then the post office. At the corner was the soda fountain. He stopped. Laura was sitting inside, talking to the clerk. She was laughing, rocking back and forth. Conger pushed the door open. Warm air rushed around him. Laura was drinking hot chocolate with whipped cream. She looked up in surprise as he slid into the seat beside her. I beg your pardon, he said. Am I intruding? No, she shook her head. Her eyes were large and dark. Not at all. The clerk came over. What do you want? Conger looked at the chocolate. Same as she has. 
Laura was watching Conger, her arms folded, elbows on the counter. She smiled at him. By the way, you don't know my name. Laura Hunt. She was holding out her hand. He took it awkwardly, not knowing what to do with it. Conger is my name, he murmured. Conger, is that your last or first name? Last or first, he hesitated. Last, Omar Conger. Omar? She laughed. That's like the poet Omar Khayyam. I don't know of him. I know very little of poets. We restored very few works of art. Usually only the church has been interested enough. He broke off. She was staring. He flushed. Where I come from, he finished. The church? Which church do you mean? The church? He was confused. The chocolate came and he began to sip it gratefully. Laura was still watching him. You're an unusual person, she said. Bill didn't like you, but he never likes anything different. He's so, so prosaic. Don't you think that when a person gets older, he should become broadened in his outlook? Conger nodded. He says foreign people ought to stay where they belong, not come here. But you're not so foreign. He means Orientals, you know. Conger nodded. The screen door opened behind them. Bill came into the room. He stared at them. Well, he said. Conger turned. Hello. Well, Bill sat down. Hello, Laura. He was looking at Conger. I didn't expect to see you here. Conger tensed. He could feel the hostility of the boy. Something wrong with that? No, nothing wrong with it. There was silence. Suddenly, Bill turned to Laura. Come on, let's go. Go? She was astonished. Why? Just go. He grabbed her hand. Come on, the car's outside. Why, Bill Willett, Laura said. You're jealous. Who is this guy? Bill said. Do you know anything about him? Look at him, his beard. She flared. So what? Just because he doesn't drive a Packard and go to Cooper High. Conger sized the boy up. He was big, big and strong. Probably he was part of some civil control organization. Sorry, Conger said. I'll go. What's your business in town? Bill asked. What are you doing here? Why are you hanging around Laura? Conger looked at the girl. He shrugged. No reason. I'll see you later. He turned away and froze. Bill had moved. Conger's fingers went to his belt. Have pressure, he whispered to himself. No more. Have pressure. He squeezed. The room leaped around him. He himself was protected by the lining of his clothing, the plastic sheathing inside. My God! Laura put her hands up. Conger cursed. He hadn't meant any of it for her, but it would wear off. There was only a half amp to it. It would tingle, tingle and paralyze. He walked out the door without looking back. He was almost to the corner when Bill came slowly out, holding onto the wall like a drunken man. Conger went on. As Conger walked restless in the night, a form loomed in front of him. 
He stopped, holding his breath. Who is it? A man's voice came. Conger waited, tense. Who is it? The man said again. He clicked something in his hand. A light flashed. Conger moved. It's me, he said. Who is me? Conger is my name. I'm staying at the Appleton's place. Who are you? The man came slowly up to him. He was wearing a leather jacket. There was a gun at his waist. I'm Sheriff Duff. I think you're the person I want to talk to. You were in Bloom's today, about three o'clock. Bloom's? The fountain, where the kids hang out. Duff came up beside him, shining his light into Conger's face. Conger blinked. Turn that thing away, he said. A pause. All right. The light flickered to the ground. You were there. Some trouble broke out between you and the Willet boy. Is that right? You had a beef over his girl? We had a discussion, Conger said carefully. Then what happened? Why? I'm just curious. They say you did something. Did something? Did what? I don't know. That's what I'm wondering. They saw a flash and something seemed to happen. They all blacked out. Couldn't move. How are they now? All right. There was silence. Well, Duff said, what was it? A bomb? A bomb? Conger laughed. No, my cigarette lighter caught fire. There was a leak and the fluid ignited. Why did they all pass out? Fumes. Silence. Conger shifted, waiting. His fingers moved slowly toward his belt. The sheriff glanced down. He grunted. If you say so, he said. Anyhow, there wasn't any real harm done. He stepped back from Conger. And that Willet boy is a troublemaker. Good night, then, Conger said. He started past the sheriff. One more thing, Mr. Conger, before you go. You don't mind if I look at your identification, do you? No, not at all. Conger reached into his pocket. He held his wallet out. The sheriff took it and shined his flashlight on it. Conger watched, breathing shallowly. They had worked hard on the wallet, studying historic documents, relics of the times, all the papers they felt would be relevant. Duff handed it back. Okay, sorry to bother you. The light winked off. When Conger reached the house, he found the Appletons sitting around the television set. They did not look up as he came in. He lingered at the door. Can I ask you something? He said. Mrs. Appleton turned slowly. Can I ask you, what's a date? The date? She studied him. The first of December. December 1st? Why, it was just November. They were all looking at him. Suddenly, he remembered. In the 20th century, they still used the old 12-month system. November fed directly into December. There was no quartember between. He gasped. Then it was tomorrow. The 2nd of December. Tomorrow. Thanks, he said. Thanks. He went up the stairs. What a fool he was, forgetting. The founder had been taken into captivity on the 2nd of December, according to the newspaper records. Tomorrow, only twelve hours hence, the founder would appear to speak to the people, and then 
be dragged away. The day was warm and bright. Conger's shoes crunched the melting crust of snow. On he went, through the trees heavy with white. He climbed a hill and strode down the other side, sliding as he went. He stopped to look around. Everything was silent. There was no one in sight. He brought a thin rod from his waist and turned the handle of it. For a moment, nothing happened. Then there was a shimmering in the air. The crystal cage appeared and settled slowly down. Conger sighed. It was good to see it again. After all, it was his only way back. He walked up on the ridge. He looked around with some satisfaction, his hands on his hips. Hudson's field was spread out all the way to the beginning of town. It was bare and flat, covered with a thin layer of snow. Here the founder would come. Here he would speak to them. And here the authorities would take him. Only he would be dead before they came. He would be dead before he even spoke. Conger returned to the crystal globe. He pushed through the door and stepped inside. He took the slim gun from the shelf and screwed the bolt into place. It was ready to go, ready to fire. For a moment, he considered. Should he have it with him? No. It might be hours before the founder came, and suppose someone approached him in the meantime. When he saw the founder coming toward the field, then he could go and get the gun. Conger looked toward the shelf. There was the neat plastic package. He took it down and unwrapped it. He held the skull in his hands, turning it over. In spite of himself, a cold feeling rushed through him. This was the man's skull the skull of the founder, who was still alive, who would come here this day, who would stand on the field not fifty yards away. What if he could see this, his own skull yellow and eroded, two centuries old? Would he still speak? Would he speak if he could see it, the grinning aged skull? What would there be for him to say, to tell the people? What message could he bring? What action would not be futile when a man could look upon his own aged yellow skull? Better they should enjoy their temporary lives while they still had them to enjoy. A man who could hold his own skull in his hands would believe in few causes, few movements. Rather, he would preach the opposite, a sound. Conger dropped the skull back on the shelf and took up the gun. Outside, something was moving. He went quickly to the door, his heart beating. Was it he? Was it the founder, wandering by himself in the cold, looking for a place to speak? Was he meditating over his words, choosing his sentences? What if he could see what Conger had held? He pushed the door open, the gun raised. Laura. He stared at her. She was dressed in a wool jacket and boots, her hands in her pockets. A cloud of steam came from her mouth and nostrils. Her breast was rising and falling. Silently, they looked at each other. At last, Conger lowered the gun. What is it? he said. What are you doing here? She pointed. 
She did not seem able to speak. He frowned. What was wrong with her? What is it? He said. What do you want? He looked in the direction she had pointed. I don't see anything. They're coming. They? Who? Who are coming? They are. The police. During the night, the sheriff had the state police send cars. All around, everywhere, blocking the roads. There's about sixty of them coming. Some from town, some around behind. She stopped, gasping. They said, they said, what? They said you were some kind of a communist. They said... Conger went into the cage. He put the gun down on the shelf and came back out. He leaped down and went to the girl. Thanks. You came here to tell me. You don't believe it? I don't know. Did you come alone? No. Joe brought me in his truck from town. Joe? Who's he? Joe French, the plumber. He's a friend of Dad's. Let's go. They crossed the snow, up the ridge, and onto the field. The little panel truck was parked halfway across the field. A heavy, short man was sitting behind the wheel, smoking his pipe. He sat up as he saw the two of them coming toward him. Are you the one? he said to Conger. Yes, thanks for warning me. The plumber shrugged. I don't know anything about this. Laura says you're all right. He turned around. It might interest you to know some more of them are coming. Not to warn you, just curious. More of them? Conger looked toward the town. Black shapes were picking their way across the snow. People from the town. You can't keep this sort of thing quiet, not in a small town. We all listen to the police radio. They heard the same way Laura did. Someone tuned in, spread it around. The shapes were getting closer. Conger could make out a couple of them. Bill Willett was there with some boys from the high school. The Appletons were along, hanging back in the rear. Even Ed Davies, Conger murmured. The storekeeper was toiling onto the field with three or four other men from the town. All curious as hell, French said. Well, I guess I'm going back to town. I don't want my truck shot full of holes. Come on, Laura. She was looking up at Conger, wide-eyed. Come on, French said again. Let's go. You sure as hell can't stay here, you know. Why? There may be a shooting. That's what they all came to see. You know that, don't you, Conger? Yes. You have a gun, or don't you care? French smiled a little. They picked up a lot of people in their time, you know. You won't be lonely. He cared all right. He had to stay here, on the field. He couldn't afford to let them take him away. Any minute the founder would appear, would step onto the field. Would he be one of the townsmen, standing silently at the foot of the field, waiting, watching? Or maybe he was Joe French. Or maybe one of the cops. Any one of them might find himself moved to speak. And the few words spoken this day were going to be important for a long time. And Conger had to be there, ready when the first word was uttered. I care, he said. You go on back to town. Take the girl with you. Laura got stiffly in beside Joe French. The plumber started up the motor. Look at them, standing there, he said. 
like vultures waiting to see someone get killed. The truck drove away, Laura sitting stiff and silent, frightened now. Conger watched for a moment. Then he dashed back into the woods between the trees toward the ridge. He could get away, of course. Anytime he wanted to, he could get away. All he had to do was to leap into the crystal cage and turn the handles. But he had a job, an important job. He had to be here, here, at this place, at this time. He reached the cage and opened the door. He went inside and picked up the gun from the shelf. The slim gun would take care of them. He notched it up to full count. The chain reaction from it would flatten them all. The police, the curious, sadistic people. They wouldn't take him. Before they got him, all of them would be dead. He would get away. He would escape. By the end of the day, they would all be dead. If that was what they wanted. And he, he saw the skull. Suddenly, he put the gun down. He picked up the skull. He turned the skull over. He looked at the teeth. Then he went to the mirror. He held the skull up, looking in the mirror. He pressed the skull against his cheek. Beside his own face, the grinning skull leered back at him. Beside his skull, against his living flesh. He bared his teeth. And he knew. It was his own skull that he held. He was the one who would die. He was the founder. After a time, he put the skull down. For a few minutes, he stood at the controls, playing with them idly. He could hear the sound of motors outside, the muffled noise of men. Should he go back to the present where the speaker waited? He could escape, of course. Escape. He turned toward the skull. There it was, his skull, yellow with age. Escape? Escape when he had held it in his own hands? What did it matter if he put it off a month, a year, ten years, even fifty? Time was nothing. He had sipped chocolate with a girl born a hundred and fifty years before his time. Escape? For a little while, perhaps. But he could not really escape, no more so than anyone else had ever escaped, or ever would. Only he had held it in his hands, his own bones, his own death's head. They had not. He went out the door and across the field, empty-handed. There were a lot of them standing around, gathered together, waiting. They expected a good fight. They knew he had something. They had heard about the incident at the fountain. And there were plenty of police, police with guns and tear gas, creeping across the hills and ridges, between the trees, closer and closer. It was an old story in this century. One of the men tossed something at him. It fell in the snow by his feet, and he looked down. It was a rock. He smiled. Come on! one of them called. Don't you have any bombs? Throw a bomb, you with the beard. Throw a bomb. Let him have it. Toss a few bombs. They began to laugh. He smiled. He put his hands to his hips. They suddenly turned silent, 
seeing that he was going to speak. I'm sorry, he said simply. I don't have any bombs. You're mistaken. There was a flurry of murmuring. I have a gun, he went on. A very good one, made by science even more advanced than your own. But I'm not going to use that either. They were puzzled. Why not? Someone called. At the edge of the group, an older woman was watching. He felt a sudden shock. He had seen her before. Where? He remembered. The day at the library, as he had turned the corner, he had seen her. She had noticed him and been astounded. At the time, he did not understand why. Conger grinned. So he would escape death. The man who right now was voluntarily accepting it. They were laughing, laughing at a man who had a gun but didn't use it. But by a strange twist of science, he would appear again a few months later after his bones had been buried under the floor of a jail. And so, in a fashion, he would escape death. He would die, but then after a period of months, he would live again, briefly, for an afternoon. An afternoon, yet long enough for them to see him, to understand that he was still alive to know that somehow he had returned to life. And then, finally, he would appear once more. After two hundred years had passed, two centuries later, he would be born again, born, as a matter of fact, in a small trading village on Mars. He would grow up, learning to hunt and trade. A police car came to the edge of the field and stopped. The people retreated a little. Conger raised his hands. I have an old paradox for you, he said. Those who take lives will lose their own. Those who kill will die. But he who gives his own life away will live again. They laughed, faintly, nervously. The police were coming out, walking toward him. He smiled. He had said everything he intended to say. It was a good little paradox he had coined. They would puzzle over it, remember it. Smiling, Conger awaited a death foreordained. The End Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Evan. And hi, I'm Scott. Uh, don't you have some podcasts, Scott? I do, as a matter <laughs> That's of very fact, subtle. I, I do, as a matter of fact, the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast, which is available wherever, you know, you get your podcasts, wherever you consume them. And then on YouTube, the episodes from the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast are also available on YouTube at Vintage Sci-Fi. So, or and, you can look up like The Skull, which is what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. You can look up The Skull and, and you'll find it there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got uh, like 50 episodes, is that right? Yeah, 50, 51, yeah. something like that. And sometimes there's like multiple short stories in one episode, but sometimes like I think in the case of the skull, it's just the skull. But yeah, because it's a longer, it's a longer one. Actually, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, mm -hmm. I did eight what I call super short sci-fi stories 
ranging from like four to ten minutes in length in one podcast episode because somebody recommended it. Somebody, you know, that would be a cool thing to do. So I did it and um, and it got rave reviews from our listeners. So we're going to do that again sometime down the road. Mm -hmm. So the reason uh, I heard about you and uh, we talked is because my website was broken. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you you said, uh, when will your website not be broken? I'm like, mm, we'll work on it. Um, it's it's mostly not broken now. So good news. Uh, but mostly, um, yeah, partially. I'm glad that you're uh, you're back to getting your resource, which is the PDF page, and 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 then occasionally talking to me and hearing a long list of things you should record. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're not shy about that. No, and you know what's awesome about it is these are great recommendations you make. It's like yeah, I, I think I try you and, are the sci-fi guru. I try to be enthusiastic about the things you should be enthusiastic about. Like this story's cool. You you should read this one. You're gonna you're gonna dig this one. And I think uh, you mentioned that you recorded the skull recently, and I was like, oh, that's a good one. Um, but I want to read what I wrote about it ten years ago. Uh, just over 10 years ago. So, uh, I wrote, the first time I read Philip K. Dick's The Skull, it took me a couple of attempts to really get into it. But with PKD, you have to give it a couple of good attempts. So I kept trying. Beating along with the text helped me. And after about 150 words or so, I could manage the story without the extra textual assistance. I guess this is one of those stories that doesn't translate uh, to audio that well. That said, once I did get into it, I did find it worthwhile. Sounds like I'm I'm insulting the story by not praising it. Uh, I'll keep going. The skull Damning is a time travel story. What's that, Paul? Damning with faint praise. Oh, yeah, and I, I I tend not to do that, but we'll see. We'll see what Jesse from the past had to say. The skull is a time travel story that makes a nice companion piece to Michael Moorcock's "Behold the Man," mm -hmm. which uh, is from '66 and also '69 when he did the novel version. Um, it's about a future criminal who goes on a mission to kill a religious revolutionary from the 1960s. So there's the premise. Um, I think this is one of those stories like The Variable Man. Um, there's a few other ones that fall into this weird category where the main character is unsympathetic and Philip K. Dick has a sort of like a hunt, like a hunt across a landscape, a hunt across a society. And I think that these are sort of his most technically, uh, technically astounding like stories. And then they're his more pure Philip K. Dick stories. And these are always appreciable. Like, I guess another one would be paycheck where it's like a guy in a certain situation. We don't really have any sympathy for him. And maybe it's because he's not big and hairy and sweaty and liking boobs. Although there's a little bit of boob action in here. It's sort of the least Philip K. Dick sort of, like, this character doesn't feel like Philip K. Dick stand-in, right? He's not a hunter. No, he, he, he's not he a does criminal. not feel like, yeah, he does not feel like Philip K. Dick at all. So it's like, I think he's he's sort of like uh, the way H.P. Lovecraft can write a story in the style of Dunsany, right? Um, or Poe. Um, but unlike, though, you know, when, when Lovecraft does that, um, he makes it his own because it's his own feelings. Whereas I think this is like him trying to write an astounding story. And so that's the bad part about this story. In my view is, is it's not pure, uh, later Philip K. Dick. On the other hand, 
Um, his short stories, I think, are generally way better than his novels, plot-wise. And this this one's plot is perfect, basically. And then there's another thing I would say about it is that it's a really awesome story. <laughs> really interesting. Like, uh, themes-wise, ideas-wise, it's, it's sort of um, undercooked in that we don't, we don't, uh, he could have spent a lot of time fleshing this out. And notice he didn't turn this into a novel. He could have very easily, but I think he sort of think maybe he thought he nailed it. Who knows? What do you guys think of this thing? I, th- I think Scott should go first as the narrator and our guest. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. Um, I, when I, when I, before I record any audiobook, I read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I read this one from start to finish and I found it fascinating in a number of ways. Uh, I think the, the reference, um, was it a reference to Karl Marx? Yep. Is Karl that, Marx yeah. is mentioned. He's, uh, because he has, bearded. The, because he has the beard and yep. he's in this strange place and, um, and everybody's so like on edge about uh, uh, communism and, and all of that. I, I find that fascinating because, you know, uh, I'm old enough to vaguely remember that, but um, not the the I would call it commie madness mm-hmm. that took place um, in the United States. And so anyway, I just I read the book. I mean, I read the short story. Then I narrated the book and I fell in love with it more mm-hmm. narrating it, which is common for me because I'm, I'm putting myself in the mindset of these people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, I, I loved it and it's different. You know, I've done, I don't know if it's 15 or 20 Philip K. Dick stories by now, but this one is different mm-hmm. than, uh, you know, human is. Oh yeah. Uh, that one's very mind. personal. Yeah, this one's a lot different and um, and it's kind of dark and there's this guy and he's going to kill somebody that he's never met and there's time travel involved in it. I just found it to be a fascinating story every way you can possibly find Mm -hmm. a story fascinating and um, and I love narrating. Evan, I got a question for you. Um, yeah. Why is why is Conger's la- uh, why is Conger's first name Omar as opposed to John? Because you 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 studied this story, you podcast about it. I I don't remember if I went back and listened. I don't think I did go back and listen to your show on this story. What why why is he named Omar, not John or James or something like that? Because. Uh, John Connor, right? <laughs> From the Terminator. The reason he's John Connor yeah. is because he can be JC. And I, yeah, I know, I know, I know Philip K. Dick is doing a, he's doing a Jesus story. This is Behold the Man before Behold the Man. Uh, are you familiar with that story, Scott? I am not. Oh, it's pretty cool. Um, I think if I had read this first, I would think a lot less of John, uh, Michael Moorcock. <laughs> Because that's the story I think of when I think of Michael Moorcock. I think, oh man, that story is so good. Um, Paul, you've read uh, Behold the Man. Absolutely, yes. What, and what, I kept thinking, I kept thinking of that story as I was reading this. It's it's uh, it's available in 
like a novelette version, which is the original, I think. Maybe it's novella. And then there's a novel version. And I think I read the novelette and the novel. I read the novel. I don't think I read the novelette. So basically the premise for that one is, if, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't read this in a long time, Paul. Um, guy goes back in a time machine looking for the historical Jesus. Um, and he's looking around and he can't find him. And, uh, he makes a, you know, a sort of a, a stink back then looking for this, this, uh, shepherd who's also a fisherman. <laughs> and then, um, you know, he's, he's like all over the holy land and he still can't find him. People are like, what the hell is this guy on about? And they're sort of following him around and he finds himself nailed on a cross with couple other criminals looking around and says, where the hell's Jesus? He should be right up here with uh, me. Well, uh, okay. I, I, actually, actually, you did miss, you did no, miss the, did uh, miss? You, you missed a bunch. So he does go looking for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, he finds Mary and Joseph. Jesus is a oh, retarded or I think that's the novel version. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah um, yeah, he's intellectually disabled. Yeah. And the only word he really knows is his name. <laughs> Carl is really depressed. Um, but winds up becoming the historical Jesus, basically, and it was like following everything. Mm-hmm. Trying, tr- he tries to remember what parables and what stories, and gives those out. He basically, be- he basically becomes the historical Jesus by remembering the historical Jesus. It's, it's very much a time loop that way. It's yeah. Like, yeah. But he is the guy he goes looking for, which is what we have here, right? Yes. Yeah, he is the he's the guy he is looking for, which is what we have here. That's correct. Which is, you know, uh, that's why I like that story so much. It's like, oh my god, that's really cool. I think Philip K. Dick sort of trips over himself uh, because he's he's interested in the religious aspect, whereas like if you if you guys uh, think about the plot for the Terminator, right? Uh, James Cameron mm-hmm. is not interested in the religious aspect of of. John Connor, he's just saying, oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> and then he has truck, um, uh, trucks okay, and explosions. So I, I, so, I, so I want to go right into this right away. So why do you think this is an inspiration for the Terminator? Uh, well, um, we know that uh, James Cameron read a bunch of science fiction stories. He says so, right? He yeah. he mentioned um, Harlan Ellison, I think probably um, because he'd seen it and also he'd forgotten who he was ripping off exactly and not ripping off in a negative way, but who he was inspired by. Right. Cause his, mm-hmm. the Terminator's an amazing script and it's an amazing film. Uh, yeah. He rips himself off later with the Terminator two, which is well, a remake he, of I, I Terminator. Know, he rips himself off. off it's beat for beat. It, it's a beat. It's scene for scene and beat for beat a rip off. Right. He's saying in the same way that evil dead is been remade as evil dead Two. Evil Dead 2 is technically a sequel to Evil Dead, but it's the same beat by... Everything happens exactly the same, right? It's just a more expensive version of Evil Dead. So if you watch Terminator, there's a scene where a truck at night is dumping garbage and then watch, you can like watch them side by side. It's, you know, it's, it's a... In the same way that uh, Cameron took Alien, he took the script for Alien and beat for beat did those scenes and then expanded some scenes and did some reversals. So in that case, the Android is a good guy instead of a bad guy. But because we know of the previous film, um, those beats can be played against each other. Well, it's, but that's not ripping off. That's recapitulation and okay. referencing the previous film. I, I think film. ripping off but, is but, not but, a bad but, thing. But, but, but. You, you've gone away from the whole point. Of, so why is, 
the Terminator. Why is this? Why is the skull the influence on the Terminator? Well, the, it's I guess it's the plot. So what we've got is a guy who goes back in time to kill somebody, right? Which is uh, the plot of the Terminator, except it's a Terminator that goes back rather than a human. And he goes back to kill a guy. Um, now, in the in the case of the Terminator, it's uh, uh, Kyle Reese goes back in time uh, to save somebody, right? And then he ends yeah. up creating uh, the guy he's he's been sent back by, right? Because he's his dad. So it's in that case, the variation is he's God to Jesus. In this case, he's Jesus to Jesus. Mm, I, I I don't see it. I mean, it might be an influence, but I don't see that this that that this is the Terminator's progenesis. I think the I think um, Cameron mixed many things, but this I mean, someone going back in time to kill someone doesn't make this the inspiration for the Terminator. It's it's an well, element. Yeah, not to kill someone, to kill uh, to kill a person who ends up being himself. And and more importantly, well, Jesus. Well, but, yeah, but, that, but, but that's not but that's not Kyle Reese at all, and that's not the Terminator. No, no, at it's the all. Terminator. So, the I mean, Terminator I mean, goes the back in time to kill Mary, right? Right. To prevent so, Jesus yes, from being so, born. So, so so no, I don't see this. I don't see this as being the movie that I don't see this well, as. It's not this, a one to one ball. <laughs> it's not even a one to one. It's it, that's it, what I'm it's, saying. It's not a someone one-to-one. going back in time to kill someone. That's that's a pretty thin read to say that this inspired the Terminator. I think. The Olsen story, I believe it's Soldier, isn't it? Yeah, have you have you rewatched that thing? Because it's not in a while. Okay, I have, and it is very very different. And uh, the other one that's cited, other than Soldier, um, is a television adaptation that was on the Outer Limits, and that's called Demon with a Glass Hand. And th- those are the two things that are cited why Harlan Ellison well, gets well, credit. There, 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 there was an Outer Limits episode called Soldier. Yeah, and and there's and, also and, one and, called Demon with a Glass Hand. Which I, right, but that's that's a different story. That's not that's not the Terminator story either. No, it's both. That's, both are cited no. uh, okay. for the works. If you look at the credit, it's both but, but, are cited. But the uh, the El- Ellison said that Soldier was the inspiration for the Terminator, and I think <laughs> that that's more. Yeah, that's much more an influence. I mean, I mean, the whole idea of sending people back in time to do stuff. There's plenty of that, but I don't see what element besides that in this story that you that makes that the inspiration for the term makes the skull the inspiration of the Terminator it's, and not Soldier. It's just basically that uh, so, so Soldier he doesn't go back in time and try and kill Jesus, right? It's, that it, he goes. It's been a while since I've seen the movie Soldier, and honestly, I don't think I've ever read but, the short story. But 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 but, 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 the, but I mean the the. I mean, the, the Terminator, the Terminator is robots going back in time to change history. But this, I mean, this is changing, trying to change history. To, okay, not change now, history, okay, to kill son. Jesus. Well, well, no, no. This, this story, the idea is we're going to change history by killing this religious figure. Mm-hmm, that's Jesus. The point, that's the point. That's the point of, it's, well, it's not. You're saying Omar Conger is Jesus, but it, 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 he's, he's a religious the, figure. In 200, 200 years after this Jesus figure is martyred and the church is becoming popular, the Roman Empire, which is what hires him essentially, right, to go back in time and kill him, uh, kill himself, is they're going to try and put out this peace religion that's screwing up the world. It's definitely, 
Philip K. Dick is going for religious imagery. Yes, he is. And the Terminator is not is very much not religious. No, it's not. But he did name him John Connor, and he is the yeah. savior of mankind. Okay, but 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 you you I mean the way you triggered me for <laughs> saying that this and not the the Ellison story was the inspiration for the Terminator. I think you're wrong on that. I, I think they're influences. But I don't think this. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I'd have to actually ask Cameron for it, and maybe he doesn't even know something. Cameron's not going to say, no, it was this story and not something else. Well, I mean, he's he's right, he was wrong. Character. He was wrong about, uh, like, I, uh, well, I, we could Who get. Was wrong? Who was wrong? Um, Cameron. Cameron was wrong about where he was getting the information from, because I've seen Demon with a Glass Hand. Um, he, he, saw, he, saw, he cited general science fiction, and then specifically Harlan, and a couple stories by Harlan Ellison. And the the two that get credited are Demon with Glass Hand and Soldier. Soldier is uh is is part of the story. If you like, if you try and line it up, it's part of the story of the Terminator. It's the Kyle Reese story. Um, Demon with a Glass Hand is the time travel aspect, right? Those are two stories by Harlan Ellison. Well, Sol- Soldier does have time travel. Yeah, they, they, but there. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna have to, I guess I have to reread Soldier. I just, I don't, or if I. Because they wind up in a time it. vortex and go back in time yeah, and. We have that. And, 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 and there's a family, yeah, it's like. Yeah. Anyway, 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 I, I think we're getting way <laughs> off track. What do you guys think? You guys have seen Terminator. How close is this? I don't see the comparison. Damn myself. it. I'm sorry. Jesse, I hate to disagree. We can't be with you. friends anymore. You chose Paul's <laughs> side. Uh, <laughs> I, it didn't really take Paul's side as much no, as I just, you just I don't you see. Just com- we're, no, I just don't see. We're enemies now. <laughs> <laughs> well, forgive me, but I just don't see it. All right. Evan, you, you got to uh, weigh in here. I'm not. I don't really care. It's whatever influenced him. <laughs> so that they both exist. Yeah. They, they, they're both their thing. Uh, you know, um, you know, I agree. It's not ultimately that important because we're not really talking about, uh, the Terminator that much. But other than to say, um, it's very cool that this story is earlier than everybody else. And it is a time travel story where somebody goes back in time to try and kill Jesus, essentially. Um, I think this story pairs well because I'm more interested in Philip Dick's evolution, his ideas, mm-hmm. um, and especially his religious ideas, which of course a lot of people focus a lot on. Mm-hmm. And and I noticed like a lot of his earlier stories had these um, these naturalistic explanations for religion, mm-hmm. for the origin of religion. I think this pairs nicely with prominent author. Yes, have you read that one? Yes, um, that's that's basically doing a very similar thing, but with revelation. So, and that's a comedy um, piece. It's so that's what there. You got a, like a, a transporter essentially mm-hmm. lets people commute to work or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it involves him essentially writing the Bible. Yeah. Dictating um, the Bible was, from memory to a bunch of little tiny people. And yeah. then the, hence the title. Have you read this one, Scott? It's really funny. Yes, I've narrated it, and I love prominent authors. Yeah, uh, it's it's sort of it's sort of a funny little piece because it <laughs> the whole thing is for the joke, right? Who is the prominent author of 
the most prominent author. Hmm, it's God. He wrote the Bible. <laughs> so yeah, naturalistic. Well, what makes that story really a good Philip Dick story too is yes, yeah. the, the context is this mundane job he's got to mm-hmm. go to every day, it's like a commuter story. It is a commuter story, which is another theme yeah. that comes up. In so, his and I kind of like that. What, Dick was trying to do in some of these early stories of, of looking at religion this way more so than his later mm-hmm. kind of Gnosticism and all that weird phallus nonsense. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, don't, that interests me in the story. And the other thing is just the kind of the society that's developed this kind of Luddism and this peace culture and this, and the arguments of why we have to stop that. There's other yeah, the idea that um, about where human progress comes from, which is another idea Philip Dick is really interested in in his early works. I mean, it's got, he's got a lot on the frontier. He's very much interested in like stagnation and where can society go when the frontier dies? And here we have the bad guys, the empire, saying like we're we're in a cul-de-sac because of this this religion, um, and yeah, he. It almost it, it's hard to see if there's not some level of sympathy he has if you look at some of his other works. The sympathy he has with the empire here because he's kind of seems fearful of the stagnation. Like you see that in the Variable Man, um, the Mister Starship. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, a lot of his early short stories, um, even like Doctor Futurity, where this like you have a weird kind of death cult. That's mm-hmm. kind of ended human progress. There, it's it's the opposite. There, it's just uh, it's based on violence and things like this is based on peace. But um, yeah, it's compared with those other works. You know, the way out of that is it's kind of restore acceptance. some kind of culture of conflict or or whatever. That's what they hope they can restore. Yeah, but was good. Out two hundred years, he's been bad. <laughs> I, I think he's really exactly playing with what the I was going like, to say. Yeah, how do we get yeah, out yeah. of this stagnation? Well, yeah, what 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 is good for absolutely everything according to this empire? Well, yeah, because they need to get rid of the dumb people. That's <laughs> yeah. basically that's basically what he says. Mm-hmm. That that if we don't have war, we're going to become this horrible um, society because um, the survival of the fittest. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found that, too, but but also like a rejection of public life is something. Yeah, if you if bothersome to that empire, like mm-hmm. we we have a bunch of apolitical people. We you know there's a it's almost like a fascist idea, right? We need people to be politically engaged. One of the one like of the everyone has to be politicized through the military or something. One of the That's details in this core 20th century idea, I think, sort of backs that up is when they go into the church at the beginning of the story, and uh, we're seeing Conger's reaction. We don't have an insight into his mind, so uh, they say you're not you're not a believer in this religion, are you? And he sort of denies it. Um, seems like he might have been raised um, nearby that religion, though. Um, and he knows about it and he's fearful of some of its mysteries, right? But one of the details that's in the story is that, um, Conger says, what are those burning things on the wall? And, and, uh, this agency, whoever it is, is trying to convince him to go back in time and kill himself says, I don't know. <laughs> and I think we're supposed to know those are braziers, right? They're like, 
this is a this is a very holy place, but this is a very unholy person. This is a person who is they've broken into this church, right? Stolen Jesus's bones, uh, and then say you have to go back and and take this skull with you. Um, and then the ending get getting to the ending where he's like he realizes that he's the guy he's waiting for. Um, and he, he, earlier in the story, we get him thinking about what it would be like to have, like, if I was this guy and I was confronted with my own skull, what would that do to me? <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he's toting around his own skull for the most of the story, which is kind of hilarious when you think about it. It is. It's, it's, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. But also, you know, it's the reason you keep a skull on your desk, right? It's to remind you that you will die and that there is no escaping death. And that's exactly why... He says the things that he does. And this is actually, you know, like this is Philip K. Dick thinking deeply about the religious teachings that he's being taught at Sunday school, right? Because why did Jesus act that way? It's so strange. And the answer is, well, he knew that he was going to die because he got prophecy. He's He's got a piece of God in him and he knows the future and he sacrifices himself. Right. In this case, he's not sacrificing himself for a future religion. He's sacrificing himself for the knowledge that if this fate is inescapable and there's peace in that. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Cause it's, it's not, it's not the, the action packed, uh, got to save the world from the evil AI plot that we see in, uh, the Terminator. It's the opposite. It's a, it, it is as close to Gnosticism as he gets in the early stories. This story was published in 1952. So that's the very first yeah, year. It's like his fourth story. Right? Yeah. It's the, it's, if, he said, uh, that, um, Philip K. Dick notes website, um, says it, you know, was sold along with Rue, the little movement expendable and beyond lies the wub. Right. So it's, it's mm-hmm. from the very first batch of stories he sold. Um, 52. That's his first sales were in 52. And then he has, you know, another 120 stories or something total. Uh, so this is, it's super smoothly written. It, it doesn't, ha- it doesn't have the personal, uh, touch. It has the more mechanical, um, touch of, uh, variable man or something like that. So it feels a, a little alienating compared to his later personal stories, <laughs> you know, his stories about abortion or whatever. Um, but as a technical achievement, it's pretty amazing, right? It's got, it's got like the setup, the execution. And then when we get back to the setting, which we think of as the 1950s, because that's when the story was published, 1952, it's actually not the 1950s. It's 1960, right? Or in 61, 62 or 60, 61. And then he goes back in time to the wrong time. <laughs> gives himself a, gives some lady a heart attack because she sees her, her, uh, historical Jesus back alive again after he's been killed. <laughs> wow. He's got Which, it so uh, technically done. It's amazing. Yeah, it's the resurrection. We never mentioned that yet. That yeah. Yeah. Also a, a kind of a scientific or science yeah. fiction explanation for resurrection. And the slam yeah. gun, like what's it doing? What's it doing? Right? Is it giving them There's a slam guns elsewhere? Yeah. Yeah, but like it's There's, it's like it's not the only one we see in film. No. And what does it stand for? S L E M? I don't know. <laughs> he never tells us, right? But it seems no, like it it gave them a religious ecstasy. Like, what did you do to those people? Did you? And he says, "Oh, I my lighter malfunctioned." 
<laughs> yeah, yeah it's, so. it's, it, that, that, that's a, that's a, it reminds me of like Swamp Gas from uh, the Swamp Gas explanation from Men in Black. Like, yeah, who believes that? My yeah. like lighter malfunction. Like, well, you come up with something a little more uh, believable. <laughs> well, ultimately, what we find though is like the the things that he says at the speech are not the things that people remember from what he said, right? Because we learn those things first, you know, he, he was in favor of peace and uh, nonviolent action, right? Uh, they're all interpreting what he did there. Yeah, that's that's an important point. Like it, the statement he gives at the end, the, the one that gets remembered. Yes. Those who take lives will lose their own. Those who kill will die. But he who gives his own life will live again. This is not a religious statement he's making. This is just a kind of a yeah. gallows humor yeah. gallows humor it's like yeah. oh this is really ironic yes this is just yeah. um now i don't know if you could go back through christ's statements and see anything that could He's have been parables, in a different right? way right that like i think that's what philip dicks maybe after like, yes if we were to read jesus's statements from a different point of view we would find they actually mean something quite different mm-hmm. um but or or or, just, or, 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 more, what's the word I'm looking for? Un, unedited and unexpurgated version of Jesus' statements. Because, I mean, given, given all the councils and all the inclusion and exclusion of various things from the Bible, it's like, there's, there's probably a lot, I mean, there, I mean, it's almost certainly that a lot of what Jesus said never actually wound up in recorded or in the Bible or kept because it just got tossed out one way or the other. Assume, assuming, just, of course, assuming, of course, there was a historical Jesus who actually existed. There's a theory that he didn't, and he was invented. But I'm going, for the sake of argument, I'm going to say that Jesus existed in one way or the other. And, but yeah, I mean, a lot of what he said was never recorded because this was this, you know, um, yeah, there was I'm, a lot of editing back then. Yeah, I more or less accept the historical Jesus, but I think there's nothing in the Gospels that. No. I mean, if Paul quoted, I'd, if, I, and I have to reread Paul, but uh, uh, Paul quoting Jesus would be more believable than the Gospels, you know, as his yeah as evidence. That's closer. One of the uh, one of the, I I I figured Evan would know about Omar. Um, just I don't know. Well, there's the mention of the poet, but that's Omar Khayyam, right? Which is a very Philip K. Dick. He's reading the Paul. He just right? read him. Yeah, he's reading Omar Khayyam. So I like excited. the name. I think so, yeah. but um, one of the the name Omar means you know he's like a a figure in the in in religion, but his name means long lived. So that's kind of a joke too, right? Because <laughs> yeah. this guy lives and dies and then lives again. Um, I'm not sure about Conger because that's not a normal name either. But I I thought the word conquer might be what he was going for there. It's interesting to conquer the world. Yeah, long. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's because it's not a na- normal name, right? It's not like Scott Miller. Come on, that's the most normal name ever. <laughs> that is a very normal name. <laughs> it's on a too complete normal. side note, on a complete side note, even in Costa Rica, even though I'm from the United States, I moved here six years ago. Um, there are even Scott Millers from the United States in Costa Rica. I multiple yeah. of us. So, what, yeah, what, do you have an exotic middle name that can distinguish, like Omar or something? Can well, it's you? it's uh, yes, uh, it's 
odd for I, I had no idea how odd it was until uh, a few years ago. But my middle name is Jerome. Yeah, that's fairly unusual. Well, oh, yeah. it's a saint. So Saint Jerome. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. but not a lot. You don't meet a lot of people with the middle name Jerome. No. Or it's, it's not even a popular Jerome. first name are, anymore. Are you Catholic, Scott? Were you raised Catholic? I was raised Catholic. Yeah. That there explains it. Yeah. yeah. Because because like my my brothers and I all got saints' names. So yep. yeah. Yes, I, I do understand. I do understand it in hindsight, but it's odd because there just aren't that many. It's people. not a popular thing these days, but it's still, you know. Uh, so, with with regard to his last name, Conger, I was thinking it is uh, it is Conquer, but um, it actually is an animal as well. Um, it's an eel, a kind of eel. <laughs> so, um, long-lived eel. Uh, um, if you think about the shape of an eel, it could be like um, almost like a snake, you know, like a uh, either a um, uh, aurora, aurora, auroros. <laughs> is that how you say it? Or like or, an or infinity auroros. sign, right? Auroros, yes. Yeah. Um, so I I think he's being like um, clever <laughs> is what he's doing, right? He's he's um, Going off the, off the more beaten path. I don't, what was, you, it sounds like you remember the name of the guy from Behold the Man. Do you remember his name? Uh, oh, I thought you said his uh, name. I, no, I, uh, no, oh crap. What is his name? It, it's probably not that, not important, but, um, he does. It, go, it is, it, it is important. Um, let, let's just look it up. Right. Um, Carl Glauiger. Yeah, I don't know. Carl means a uh, man, uh, as in like hired man. I don't know. Glauger <laughs> means something probably. Everything means something. Possibly. What? Um, I'm gonna I'll look up the etymology and find right. out. Um, not enough. So I'm there's other people stuff. mentioned in this story. Um, Including, uh, there's a carpenter. <laughs> oh, oh, Joe. you know what? Uh-huh. Um, Glauiger, um, Glower to Shine. So, okay. The Shining Man. There the you Shining go. Man, yeah. That's something. Um, uh, there was a carpenter mentioned in this book. Um, I think his name was Joe. <laughs> so Joseph, right? Um, but I, I want to think about like the, the communist element and what they, what they're, they want from him and how people are, interested in communism in this small town he says he's from oregon <laughs> um but he's it's set in california right for some reason no uh, I, I don't know if it's set in california i thought it was set more midwest i think yeah said, i think it's colorado isn't it oh is it i thought he said um uh where are you from oh yeah they said are you from out west yeah you're you may be colorado and they said california he says no uh uh oregon but uh, he visits the place where the church was founded, the first church, which is apparently the the jail where they kill him. Right? Yeah. And he, what is he arrested for? For being a communist? Right? So what's interesting is that in 52... This I mean, is, it is, it's very Red Scary. It's very yeah, early but that's not, that's not the end of the Red Scare. That's right in the middle, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it goes on a couple more years, and 
it affects a lot of science fiction stories you read from this period. We, yeah, we just have to look out for those reds. You know, the government's always warning us about them. The reds? Mm-hmm. He was puzzled. The government says they're all around. We're supposed to report anything strange or unusual. Anybody doesn't act normal. Yeah. It's kind of the culture we have now, too, right? He's not wearing a mask. He's refusing um, a vaccination. Jesse, let's not. Let, let, let's move away from uh, current politics, please. <laughs> well, uh, it was supposed to be a couple of years ago, but uh, that's my point is, is how long does it, like, in 1970... The Red Scare is, is over. Communism is still around and people are still thinking about it. But in this future of oh, the I, Red Scare, I, 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 think, 1960, I think it's, well, no, 1970, I wouldn't say because 1970, we're still, we're still, uh, in the Nixon's Vietnam going War. to China. Yes, but we're still also in the Vietnam War and we're still getting it. We get that editorial pro and con. In the, yeah, it never goes away. It's still around, right? They're still so, red scaring people, even though, you know, it's the Communist Party yeah. in China now instead of. I mean, so I don't think 1970. Um, 19, I think the, the, the context is very different. And yeah, they're thinking about it very by, differently. By the 60s and 70s, you had like movements, very mass movements that were influenced Black by Panthers thinking. And that's a very different kind of. Anxiety. Yeah, the relationship the scare, is which different. is more like a conspiratorial kind of. And of course, you've had after Khrushchev's speech, you had the disentangling of the American left from from Moscow. Yeah, right. Um, to a certain degree, I mean, there were still the Communist Party of the U.S. I think was still part of the Comintern, but most American leftists had had disavowed gone for a more like you know, different movements. So those leftist ideas get funneled into the labor movement or civil rights movement or those kinds of do left movements, right? So I think the context is different. So I think I would say the Red Scare is over by then, but it's it doesn't mean there's not anxiety over leftist movements. But the it, it, the this 1960 Red Scare in this story. Well, this was written during the Red Scare. So right, but it's, it's set in a future it. that Philip K. Dick is not in yet, right? And he's saying it's going to continue, and it's going to get worse because in 1952, you you could have been reported to the police for being a communist, and we know this happens, right? Philip K. Dick's reporting his fellow uh, <laughs> Californians to the commun- as communists. His wife's a communist, right? So he's worried about him himself. He's also worried, I think, that he's a communist, <laughs> in a certain sense, because at the end, uh, what's he saying? He he has the people acting badly towards him, right? The authorities and the people. I'll just read this right before he gives the speech. He went out the door and across the field empty-handed. There were a lot of them standing around, gathering together, stand, uh, standing around, gathered together, waiting. They expected a good fight. They knew he had something. They had heard about the incident at the fountain. So this, I think, is the miracle, right? Where he gives them some sort of religious ecstasy. Uh, with a girl, right, and the boyfriend <laughs> from the high school. And there were plenty of police, and he's got a beard, so you know how they are. And there were plenty of police, police with guns and tear gas, creeping across the hills and ridges, between the trees, closer and closer. It was an old story in this century. In the 20th century, right? He's talking about Jesus. Yeah. Okay. One of the men tossed something at him. It fell in the snow, not to him, at him. It fell in the snow by his feet. And he looked down. It was a rock. He smiled. 
Come on, one of them called. Don't you have any bombs? Throw a bomb. You with the beard, throw a bomb. Let, let him have it. Toss a few. What does this mean? Who, who is talking? Let em have it. Toss a few bombs. But it's not a few bombs. It's a few A-bombs. So what did the people of this Colorado 1960 want? Do they want to burn him at the stake? Or are they saying, we want change? I think it's the latter. I think some of them want to burn him at the stake. But they're also at that tipping point on the knife's edge of, you know kill the witch or let's embrace change. And I think it has to be the latter because what happens upon his speech and upon his death, the church is founded, right? And people are going the opposite way, ending war. I think it's very, he's very good right, at this. Because, right, because his, I have a gun, he said, a very good one. Maybe it's science even more advanced than your own, but I'm not going to use that. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor. He, they think, <laughs> Right. Like Jesus talking about my sword, right? My sword of truth or something like that. I I bring that piece about the sword. Yes. Uh, I'm the prince of peace. Here's my big invisible sword that I'm going to metaphor you with. But they're throwing a rock at him, right? And they they say, throw a bomb. You with the beard, throw a bomb. They they want a leader. They want somebody to change things. They don't like the way things are. So this is a very subversive story because it's saying people are ready for communism. They're interested in communism. Right? Or that's what they think communists do. Like, right, right. A very rudimentary idea. Like, very rudimentary. Well, he's got a beard. So <laughs> they don't know anything about Marxism. Oh, dude, just, it is a phenomenon, a right? Why are so many people today wearing beards? It's back in fashion. Compared to, you know, when I was a kid, almost nobody wore a beard. You wear a mustache, that's strange, right? But it go, it is a fashion thing, right? 19th century, beards are in. Early 20th century, beards are out. Mustaches and beards are out. And then it goes away for a while. The hippies come in, beards are back, right? I guess beatniks had beards too, right? And then, yes. and then in the 70s, uh, people start thinking, hey, maybe these long pants will work for me and I can go disco dancing. And then in the 80s, nobody's nobody's got a beard except, you know, uh, Thomas Magnum from Magnum Pia has got a mustache. How daring. <laughs> He's like the only guy on TV with a mustache. Right? Um, no, Simon and Simon. Oh, yeah, one of them had a mustache. Yeah, but they were copycats. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like uh, in, in the space future, everybody's clean shaven, right? Space 1999, no, no mustaches. And then it takes, no. it takes it, it, Star Trek, no mustaches and we'll, until we get to the Klingons, they're evil, right? But then in Deep Space Nine, uh, clean shaven head guy gets a, a mustache and a beard and he's not evil. It's just fashion has changed in the Federation. So there is something about like people demanding and wanting change. I, I think this is really fellow Dick trying to, grapple with his religious beliefs and then he wraps it in a science fiction story in a way that it's like just really early so early he's pioneering stuff so cool like it it is essentially the whole demand but better i think um, i haven't, I haven't reread it recently it's, it's certainly a shorter 
Yeah. Shorter well, story. Generally makes it's more better. science fictional. Well, I know in your in your opinion, it's more science fictional than that. It's inventing things, but I was never really convinced why people went for this religion. Also, there's the whole okay, so we ha- so this guy follows religion. It's a couple hundred years later, and it's not. And it seems <laughs> what sort of I'm looking for monochromatic. Let me explain. Let me explain. Yeah. So I've been listening to on and off. Um, Will Durant's The Age of Faith, mm-hmm. which is the, the fourth in his uh, grand histories. And talking about, and he talks about um, the history of Christianity, amongst all other things, and the the furious number, and also Islam, and the furious number of sects and uh, subdivisions that spring up pretty quickly in both religions. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think I think that is the nature of these, of, of religions, is that they don't remain unified for long. They, 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 there's factions, there's breakups, there's, well, this is still the early church is only 200 years no, after, right? But even 200 years, I mean, 200 years in Islam, you have Shias and Shiites or Shias and Sunnis already, and mm-hmm. they're killing each other. In Christianity, you have the Arians, the Monophysites, and a, and a couple others, and none of them like each other and they're trying to get each other excommunicated one way or the other. Whereas, Whereas here, I mean, like he talks about, I mean, there's just the first church, and he goes back, and he's a little confused, like which church? Like he's confused by that question. It's like that's not how religion works, Phil. It's like religions don't remain monochromatic, mono, um, these unified entities. They they break up. They have they they kind of split. They have different people interpreting different things. So the whole. Oh, there's just the first church and they all are unified and the exact, believing the exact same things. I mean, maybe it's a consequence of me rereading World's Rant recently, but I didn't believe that so much. Mm. It's like, no, that's not how religion, that's uh, not how. I think it's a pretty short story work. as well. So you, you got to give it some slack because one of the things I was thinking about this character I never thought about when I read it originally is mm-hmm. that he's actually, um, he's kind of like a Lee Brackett hero. He's, he's a, He's a man in prison. He's in prison for breaking the blockade on customs on Earth, right? He's a hunter and a killer. He's a trapper. And where he grew up is is Mars and uh, Mountains of the Moon is where he goes hunting, right? And then he takes his, his fur trapping stuff to Earth and sells it there. So we've got mm-hmm. like... This is not uh, like a well-read man. He's he's a fearful, uh, God-fearing man. He doesn't mess with those religious people, um, but he is also defiant of of the Earth uh, secular authority, who want to bring war back, and they are having some sort of trouble with the church. And we don't see what it is exactly, but we know that they are. The problem is they're they're resisting nonviolently, which is a problem. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's he's recapitulating the early history of the, of the church in Rome, the right. Roman Empire. Right. So he's 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 definitely mining that. Yeah, sure. but what's cool is it's in contrast to the people of 1960, who are anti their government, even though they are in favor of their government. Right? They want change, but can't get it. They need somebody to throw some a bombs. Right? 
I think they're goading him. And notice it doesn't hit him, right? It doesn't hit him in the tooth. And he realizes, oh, that's why my my skull looks like the skull here in my hands, right? And I, I was thinking, um, this is, uh, it's actually like pretty clever because he's talking about the, the different social groups, the one that we barely get to see in the future and the one that we see two bits of, right? 1961 and 1960. And it's just, you know, sort of a regular America, but underneath the surface, this is a theme we see in a lot of his stuff, like, um, uh, what's the one, um, small town, right? And, uh, you read that one, Scott, right? Time out of joint? I did, small town. I love that one too. Uh, well, time out of joint's a little later. It's in mid fifties, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, time under time under joint is more paranoia. Whereas I think he's like he's saying, uh, or well, there's um, definitely paranoia here too because they, they they're afraid of communists. Up yeah, and down. but I'm not sure it's. I think they're interested. Like the girl, right? When she shows up at his door, like why is she there? He's some guy in a beard. He's not. It's not like he's super. He's super um, <laughs> uh, attractive or anything, right? It'd be like Philip K. Dick. Why is this beautiful young woman at my door? <laughs> I must have some power. I'm a swami of some kind. And he is. He's got, uh, he speaks strangely. He says he has a speech impediment when they try and explain his accent, right? Which is, yeah, uh, I've got a future accent. <laughs> and it, so he, he's weird. He doesn't, he's not conforming. And in doing that, that makes him a threat. The cop shows up and said, you know, they check his ID and everything's fine. But, you know, I gotta, it's, I gotta somehow, uh, I, it's almost like the opposite of, you know, remember first blood when he comes back, he's a veteran, right? And the cop harasses him for being a vagrant. And he's, I just want to live my life in the country I grew up in, right? And it, it's sort of a fantasy of like, um, we treated our veterans badly. So this is why we shouldn't treat our veterans. It's like, it's fake in a certain sense. Whereas with this, I think he's, he's pointing to something in the society around him, which is, you know, fear of the red scare and saying, well, what if, what if there's a reason people are acting this way? And instead of saying, you know, communism is, is, is the answer. He's saying like religion is the answer. It's a, it's very, um, interesting and subtle i think and it doesn't tell you exactly what it's doing other than it has this joke element which we also see in behold the man what 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 what, what uh, there's no frontier stuff other than at the beginning right evan um Unless well, i don't think there's frontier stuff but there's the stagnation stuff there's that anxiety about stagnation yeah so that's hence the need for war mm-hmm mm-hmm which, yeah. at this time in his career, I don't think it's his ultimate answer. I do think it's the frontier. Mm-hmm. But. And usually, uh, yeah. uh, what's the, there's one where they travel back in time to make that the frontier. That, I think, is Dr. Futurity or something. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, it's just another solution to the problem of where to go. Well, that's also got this idea of go back in time to kill someone. There, they're trying to kill like, Sir Francis Drake. Right. A little less. Yeah, yeah, we saw that one on the podcast. Yeah. 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 Interesting. 
So yeah, I don't I don't know where to go with this other than to say it's a really cool story. I really liked it, and I I think it's it fits into that weird collection of strange stories like the Variable Man and others where the the main character is not Philip K. Dick very much. Whereas I no definitely no, no I did I didn't get Omar as being Philip K. Dick at all. This is not this no. is definitely a case of author insert at all. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe it's a, him in a certain sense, and, you know, when he grows a beard and he looks in the mirror and says, wow, I'm turning into a Karl Marx, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. But uh, the, the hitting on high school girls is definitely him. Um, <laughs> and uh, what, what did you think, Evan, when you, uh, you did you notice the, um, the wife stuff? Like a trial wife? Yeah, I know that. Well, that's I guess in the future they have that. Yeah. 200 years in the future, they have trial wives. And he says, if it's not, if it's not his trial wife, then it must be his mistress. Was that a product of that, of that religion? I guess the dominant ideology. I think that's pretty interesting. Like, how does that extract? And I think a lot of it is, you know, if you, if you do go into walk into a Catholic church today and you ask them, or like, uh, we have another Scott on this podcast. Sometimes Scott, and uh, he's a Catholic, so if we ask Scott, you know, he teaches new adherents to the religion, uh, Catholicism. You know, what is Catholic doctrine on this? What is Catholic doctrine on that? It's all derived from, you know, the Bible and 2,000 years of people saying, well, this means this and that means that. And if you go back in time and bring those doctrines and say, Jesus, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. It's like, well, that's quite a, you know that's quite a stretch. How did you get there from here? Because his speech is very short and, and it's never set up to at the, at the beginning, we were told he says a few words. We're never told what those words are because it's not important to that cop who's our military guy or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. The concept of trial wife. I'm curious. I've never (laughs) heard that before. Is that, it sounds very Heinleinian. Where well, you have, yeah. where you, you have, we have marriages for a particular period. Yeah. Um, and they're revocable. Silverberg has, uh, he call, he has stories where he, he calls them month wives. So you have a, a wife for a few months and then you can re-up. <laughs> well, there, there's endless stuff we could say about Philip Dick and marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is not even the best story to talk about that because it's not a lot of, uh, not a lot to that here. Well, there's like game players of Titan where mm-hmm. people have these short-term wives and they're always swapping. And I mean, this like these a lot of commodified like contractual marriages. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it works. He's Don't forget to search in the for sky. Some, yeah, he's trying to search for like. Uh, I think that's he wants a he wants an authentic, real relationship mm-hmm. between people. Right, that's a big part of his humanistic philosophy, and he doesn't find it in marriage. I think, or marriages around him don't satisfy him. There's, he's searching for something better, and then I don't know if he ever finds an answer. Uh, but it's kind of running there throughout his work. But it's some kind of actual human relationship between people. Um, do you um do you know? I mean, it's serial monogamy. A tri- like a trial wife is nothing more than serial monogamy, right? It's, yeah, which is what he does. He had four trial wives. 
<laughs> the final one was the the, the non trial because he died. No, yeah. I think uh, didn't he divorce her too? I think he had a girlfriend. I don't know. Um, reading the, the stuff about the newspaper, I think all that stuff in the middle. Um, a lot of that is what makes these longer works, the variable man and such so, so much longer. Um, not super interesting in, in, I mean, there's some good stuff in there, but, uh, when he goes to the library and asks, and tries to have conversations with the people in Cooper Creek, um, it's, it's a thing, but, um, you guys didn't notice a flower in here at all. Did you? Cause I was thinking about that afterwards. Um, I didn't notice a flower, but it's a, it's a, a set of symbols, right? There's the skull, there's time, and then a flower. And you put those three together and it's like a, it's a symbol, a symbols to, you know, the, the skull is where is death. The, usually it's an hourglass or in this case, an infinity symbol, right? Um, uh, an hourglass with sand running down the time and, um, the flower is beauty. I guess the girl's supposed to be that because he has little interest in her and, you know, that's what the beef is about with the guy coming in in the chocolate and, um, in the, in the little restaurant. Uh, it's Which like, I gotta say as a narrator mm-hmm. is really kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> this older guy is like kind of lusting after this young girl. He's pretty non-lusty. Yeah, but still is very Philip K. Pick all the yeah. same. Even if it's not very. Not, not comparatively lustless com- to his other stuff, but you're right. That is definitely his thing. He likes teenagers, teenage girls. Yeah, and I just got to say, narrating it, that's <laughs> it, it. Just gave me the creeps to think of this. But anyway, <laughs> he was kind of. A I creep. don't know if anybody else. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else gets that vibe. But when you when you speak those words and you think about what he's thinking, he's looking at her. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's it just, is here. Listen, I found it. The man looked... Uh, <laughs> here you go, Scott. Uh, the man looked him over critically. You better come inside, he said, out of the cold. Thanks, Conger went gratefully through the open doors into the living room. It was warm and close from the heat of the little kerosene heater in the corner. A woman, large and shapeless in her flowered dress... There, see, there's the flower... came from the kitchen. She and the man studied him critically. It's a good room... The woman said, I'm Mrs. Appleton. So there's your, <laughs> the apple, right? Yep, there's the apple. Another biblical thing, right? And then he takes the, uh, they have the conversation. Um, he says, I come from Chicago myself. That's the Middle West, the man said to her. You ain't from, you ain't a for- no foreigner. Oregon isn't foreign either, Conger said. It's part of the United States. <laughs> it's, like, it's almost like he's mentally, you know, like, Retarded. There's something weird about this guy. He calls it a speech impediment, but they're treating him like he's dumb and he is dumb. He's ignorant of stuff, but he also has all this high tech and they think his words are profound, right? And he, when he gives that speech at the end, he, he actually puts it as a, he says it's like a riddle, right? Oh, he says a paradox. I have an odd paradox for you. Those who take lives will lose their own. Those who kill will die. But he who gives his own life away will live again. To to him, that's like a funny joke, right? And then they laugh. That's what it says. They laughed faintly, nervously. 
because they don't know what it means. The police were coming out, walking towards him. He smiled. He said everything he intended to say. It was a good little paradox he had coined. They would puzzle over it and remember it, maybe for 2,000 years, right? Smiling, Conger awaited a death foreordained. It's very, a very neat. Very, this is like why Phil K. Dick is remembered. It's not because, you know, some drug drug stuff. His His writing really is impactful. And this magazine is not famous. If it's not high-end, it's not FNSF. It's just really good. I think I I think it's really good anyways. I guess the only question is, where's the... What happens to this? Maybe I missed it. What happens to the skull he carries with him? Yeah, it's it not really... It, it's not with him, right? It's back at the, uh, at the house. Yeah. Um... I guess that one just gets forgotten. What happened to the slam gun? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's Cameron stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And totally. the time machine. Yeah. And the time machine. The time machine itself, yes. Nobody discovers it? Well, it doesn't access it through something in his belt, right? The And also, he calls it the crystal cage, which is not too dissimilar from a similar era story called the crystal crypt, right? Where he's got this idea of... It's almost like a pink beam style image that's he's working with he's like it means something i'll take it with me i'll use it again work it out i also found the words that you just read uh uh, very uh biblical yeah a death preordained yes in other words he was he was the sacrificial lamb yeah he's 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 exactly like jesus in that 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 little scene right what makes this not the Terminators, the, the, the major action of this is he, he like presses a button on his slim belt gun and everybody has like religious ecstasy for a second instead of like big shootouts and, you know, car chases. <laughs> it's the opposite of that, right? That's, and I feel like is pretty bad at that stuff, right? When he does car chases and, you know. Yeah, that's not his strength. No, it's just, it's not, he can do it. It's just not interesting because his, his special effects are all in the, the cool ideas, you know, false memories and, and such. In this case, it's, um, Paul, had you read this one before? No, I had not read the skull. I had a feeling you hadn't. Um, did, at one point did you realize that he was the guy who was holding his own skull? Was it early or late in the start? It was it pretty just... early. I was like, he's going back, he's looking at this guy, and he's not finding him. It's like, oh, we're doing Behold the Man early. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what about so you, I, I, I tweaked, I, I, because Maybe because I just read so much science fiction, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the obvious twist that like he is himself. Yeah, this guy is like, it is the obvious how, twist, how right? But this is this is the first time I know of it. Happening. Right, I mean, it's obvious to me now. I mean, it would have been obvious to me if I was living in 1950. Yeah. So Kyle Reese doesn't know that he is the father of John Connor, right? Correct. I, mean, I, I Does he even ever know? No, he never knows because he dies. No, because And he then dies, pregnancy right? and happens and because right. he's in love with this guy's uh Right. Father, no, so he never mom. actually knows, learns that he but is But John father. Connor knows that Kyle Reese is his dad when he sends yes. him back in time to die. So John Connor is also God. Because he's sending his his only son, <laughs> except he's sending his only dad back in time to kill to die for his non future sins, <laughs> his 
on future good goodness. What what at what point in the story when you were reading it for uh, potential narration, Scott? Did you realize that he was the guy holding his skull? Was it before uh, Conger does or after or at the time? Before, yeah. Um, well, and and I didn't know. I assumed. I thought I yes. I thought I knew. I don't know. I want to say about halfway through the story, mm-hmm. um, which which brought me to the question. He didn't look at the skull before and notice that his teeth looked like <laughs> yeah. those teeth. Yeah, that 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 was the one plot hole that I really struggled with. He never um, studied the skull carefully beforehand and realized, oh wait, that's me, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah was, but why of, wouldn't you? Well, now that you you live in a universe where all these science fiction stories exist, of course you're going to do that. If somebody says. Uh, Scott, I've invented a time machine. <laughs> I want you to go back in time and kill this guy named Hitler. And, and you say, that's a good idea, as you scratch your little tiny mustache under your nose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's... Okay. Right? I mean, we live in a, in a period of time where, you know, time travel stories are, you know, all over the every television show and movie. Right? There's so many, you know repeat repeat ideas used over and over again but this is a very early one and you know the original time machine no- uh novelette or whatever it is long short story he he never goes back in time he just goes to the future and then he goes back to the present and it's never thought you know there all those time travel paradoxes to go back in time they're all quite late compared to even this I think it's pretty cool. He's underrated. I loved it. I, I loved it. Is Philip K. Dick underrated? Yeah. I, I think certain of his works are. I don't know if he himself in general is underrated. I think he's, I mean, he's overrated by people who, you know, are all, yeah. The, I mean, for a while, it was all Valis this and Ubik that, right? And I, I and or um, doc, uh, Three Stigmata. And I'm like, none of those are interesting to me. Um, but his, he is underrated because nobody talks about his short stories in the way that they should, even though occasionally they get adapted into movies, right? But that it's not like everybody's, if you think about science fiction short stories, uh, how many short stories of his won Hugo or Nebula or whatever? Zero is my guess, right? I know he won for a novel here and there. Uh, yeah, 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 that's the only one you want to go for. And it's not really his best work. It's a very good book, but his short stories, I think, are bad. Other than, other than Galactic Pot Healer, which I think is a, you know, head and shoulders above novel. I think he, every one of his short stories is probably better than every novel. Well, you know what's interesting um, to me, as as you know, this is, I still narrate. Um, I still narrate a few other genres, but not many. Mostly mm-hmm. I've uh, focused in on short sci-fi from mm-hmm. the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, really from the 30s through the 60s. Right. Um, but he is, for me, outside of the, the recent stories I did by Isaac Asimov, mm-hmm. he is the number one seller in that genre of all of the authors that I've done so far. doesn't mean he always will be. Uh, and Bradbury, who received more acclaim oh, yeah. than Dick, does not sell no. as well 
in in the and again, this is a very defined uh, genre. Uh, so, you know, take it for what it's worth. But people love Philip K. Dick and I get more comments on uh, and emails about his stories than anybody else mm-hmm. that I've done. So far. out of the you know, it's only 130. So it's not like I've done, a, you know, a ton of them yet. But um, I find that very interesting. And that's why I've done so many of his stories. It's just commercially viable. It's commercially viable, but also like you like them, too, right? Oh, I I love them. That's and that's the other part of narrating to me that it, it's personal. You yeah, know, yeah. I I want to do what I want to do, what I enjoy doing. And, um, you know, it, you mentioned prominent or maybe Evan mentioned prominent author mm-hmm. earlier in the conversation. I love that story. It's fun. And I can I can picture the guy near the end, you know, in his study or den, um, you know, with his shoulders thrust back. And he's so proud of his work <laughs> and, and his wife is so proud of his work. Um, you know, I, I can picture that I can. And it's like so much of what Dick does when narrating, I can see it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Conger, I could see him in the church. I could mm-hmm. see him, you know, I'm interested. It looked like a grotto to me when I was visualizing it. I, I know it wasn't a grotto but, because it's, <laughs> no. but, yeah, but I, I did think I, of it as early Christian sort of underground. Uh, yeah. You know, catacombs, catacombs. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, he's just so fascinating to me because, and beyond lies the wub. Yeah. To me, it's just a phenomenal story. It's a cool enigma story too, because you know what he's doing and you can figure out that something happened at the end. Um, but even people who don't like, I, I use that one with students. Uh, Even if students don't, know what happened exactly and i i give them my theory as to what happened they still like it even though they don't know what exactly happened right and like oh it's my it's consciousness transference it never says it was consciousness transference right (laughs) Um, no but it but it's pretty obvious isn't it even i got that i mean it's it's interesting because he's eating himself right he said i never had an opportunity to to taste this before and it's like jesus eating you know going back in time and taking the eucharist <laughs> yeah it doesn't make any sense but philip k dick is deeply affected by these ideas right normally if some kid goes into church and the mom says when when the priest comes nearby he's going to give you a little grape juice and a little cracker and you eat it okay and the kid says okay mom right <laughs> and then when philip k dick had that happen to him He's like, what does this mean? And then he spends the next 20 years trying to figure it out. <laughs> he takes it I, really seriously. Yeah. I, I just love, I, I also recently narrated of withered apples. Oh yeah. What a oh, terrific yeah. story. What a great story. Right. Uh, I, I love I that the dad wonder. and the husband are, are working on bills and important things. And the wife's like, can I go play in the backyard? <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Can I, I go play I just, with my tree? <laughs> I sometimes wonder, was he really doing a lot of drugs when he wrote these stories? I, I think his, some his of these, brain was weird. It, it, he was yeah. pre-wired for weirdness. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know if I told you this. Um, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast. I think I told Evan, maybe Paul. Um, 
I was reading his early letters, like his earliest letters. Most of them are to his mom. And, uh, he's away at, uh, prep school and he's not liking it. Um, he's having trouble with math and he's trying to get out, of, trying to get out of gym class and stuff. And one of the letters ends with mom, send my pills. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know, nine years old or whatever, or 12 years old. I don't know. It's just basically world war two. <laughs> and he's like, mom, send my pills. And we don't know what the pills are, but we know that he needs them. <laughs> send my CBD oil or whatever. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of this one, but the the oddest uh, Philip K. Dick story that I've narrated so far to me, and mm-hmm. it just it 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 just made me sad to narrate it. Mm-hmm. Was the crawlers? Oh man, that's a it, that's a hitter. It hits. Oh, that just it just you know it just made me sad. It yeah. really did. I I finished reading that and I was and narrating that and I was like okay I got to take a break man yeah yes yeah. he's he's really saying something there and it's not um it's not something that you want to hear <laughs> no it is not <laughs> I it it I just wonder if uh, if if that will be I wonder if many people are going to want to buy it and then they're going to want to say something to me after they yeah how you dare know. you do this to me yeah. Yeah. Wait till you get to one called anyway. the, pre- I, I, this one's not public domain, but the pre-persons, that's a quite late in his career. We did a show on that one. That hit you, Paul? Um, I don't know if it was on the pre-persons. The pre-persons, that's the one Marissa would have bowed out of for sure. It's, uh, it's the one with, um, abortion trucks. So. Oh, uh, no, I don't think I was on that one. <laughs> it starts with, wow. uh, it starts with a little kid walking down the road or whatever. And here's an ice cream truck, you know, whatever it is, singing. And he he dives into the bushes and hides. Uh, and the reason is it's the abortion truck come to abort him. And the, no, we did. I def, when, who did you do this podcast with? Are you sure you even did Evan this did one, it. or you just talked? Oh, yeah, Evan was on it. He he could he could handle it. Uh, Will did it, and uh, Evan. So yeah, it, it's 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 hardcore because it, he, it was him dealing with the fact that his his girlfriend slash wife of the time wanted an abortion, or maybe even got an abortion, and he was like, maybe I need oh, to get oh, a brand oh, gun. Oh, oh, okay, so so you came, it came out in July of this last year. Yeah, I need um, to maybe get a brand gun and go lay in wait for no, an uh, abortion clinic yeah, well, and shoot it up. Like that's in the story. Because he's I wasn't so on upset it, you at the feelings. Me, you mentioned me in the, in the in the notes. Paul and I may able to get past it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I definitely wasn't on this, but you were thinking of me. I'll read the <laughs> opening here for you, Scott. Listen to this. Past the grove of cypress trees, Walter, he had been playing King of the Mountain, saw the white truck, and he knew it for what it was. He thought, "That's the abortion truck come to take some kid to in for a postpartum down at the abortion place." And he thought, maybe my folks called it for me. He ran and hid among the blackberries, feeling the scratching of the thorns, but thinking it's better than having the air sucked out of your lungs. That's how they do it. They perform a PP's postpartum on all kids there, all at the same time. At the same time, they have a big room for it, for the kids nobody wants. Burrowing deeper into the blackberries, he listened to hear if the truck had stopped. He heard its motor. I'm invisible, he said to himself a line he had learned at the fifth 
fifth grade play of Midsummer's Night's Dream, a line in Oberon, a line Oberon whom he had played had, had said, Af- and after no one could see him. Maybe that was true. Maybe the magic stay- saying worked in real life. So he had said it again to himself. I am invisible. But he knew he was not. He could still see his arms and legs and shoes, and he knew they, everyone, the abortion truck man especially, and his mom and dad, they could see him too if they looked. If it was him, they were after this time. He wished he was a king. He wished he had magic dust all over him and a shining crown that glistened, and he ruled fairyland and had a puck to confide in, to ask for advice even, advice even if he himself was a king, and bickered with Titani, his wife. I guess he thought saying something doesn't make it true. Like, that's a real kid, right? And he's literally worried about his parents maybe got tired of him and could have him aborted. It's Philip Kiddick totally against abortion, trying to make the argument, this is a living child. He will grow up and watch, or he will go up and play Oberon in a play, and you're having him aborted? My God, don't do this to me. Don't do this to my the, son. I thought the Crawlers was depressing. Dude, right? <laughs> this is different. <laughs> crawlers uh. is like, it's uplifting, because all those aborted fetuses oh. are now alive and crawling you, around, getting you know run over occasionally. Just- Podcast, Jesse, because mm-hmm. I was in, uh, I was at Worldcon at the time. Uh, yeah, it's usually in, one in of the DC. Other. It's Nepal just not available. Or yeah. Tibet or Vietnam or Worldcon. No, no, that, that, that was DC for Worldcon. All right. And this is the one that got Joanna Russ really mad at him too. I don't know. Maybe uh, some Christians got upset at, at the skull, but I think not. No, I don't think the skull would have really triggered. No. So much. That's another public domain one. We should do that one. Get Scott all depressed again. <laughs> I, you know, I'd be in for that one because I just thought it was a fascinating, sad, sad story. I can't imagine anyone else writing that story, right? There's nothing else like it in science fiction. The closest I can think of are, are like a, there's a couple from World War II era, like Only a Mother, I think, by Judith Merrill. And, uh, there's a Richard Matheson one, uh, but mm-hmm. even those are more agentful. Like those creatures are, those are mutant babies or whatever are, uh, they have, you know, they're going to get back at, at this horror that's happening to them. But here, uh, Philip K. Dick is like, he's so empathetic with these <sighs> mutants and <laughs> weird, you know, I don't. I, I don't know. I got to read more of his letters because it'll get more insight into <laughs> into how much of this is like out of his life. All right. I guess we're pretty close to done, right? I, I think we're done. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's have a look at scheduling that if you want to uh, be depressed in future. And what? Yeah, was that? I'm. I'm in. All right. What was that one, uh, Paul? The the Navalo Lee book? Is it called? Oh. Manuscript something? Right. Uh, what was the name of that thing? Um, crap. By the way, Evan, you're doing a really good job with that new podcast. I think I probably told you that before, but. Um, the Heinlein? The Heinlein, yep. I'm uh, also finishing off some Mark Twain that I. The Hopkins Manuscript. The Hopkins Manuscript by R.C. Sheriff. All right, you want to pop it in there when it's convenient for Paul? And uh, 
maybe in between we'll put in uh, the the crawlers because I'm pretty the sure we crawlers. haven't done that one before. You know, I, I am expecting a, several Hugo nominations. Okay, so did you see the thing I sent you about that? <laughs> you said, is it Hugo worthy? And I sent you the nomination thing. Yeah, I need that file again. Uh, well, it's a, it's a, but but you're you're not eligible because it's lady business. <laughs> That's what what do we he's not eligible because it's lady business? It's, um, I could do a screen share, but I'll just copy it. Well, I know about their spreadsheet, but yeah, that doesn't mean it says lady that, business. That, 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 that's owned that's, by lady business. Right, they just compile suggestions. It's not like it's all ladies. I'm on that spreadsheet. <laughs> so well, why is it called lady business? That's the name of their. That's the name of the podcast group who who hosts that spreadsheet. Well, what I'm saying oh. is it's lady business, and that's no. why you're not eligible, Evan. No, Jesse, There's no. The, those are Jesse funny jokes, Paul. That's that's not funny. No, that's that's kind of sexist. And I'm not no. the one who named it lady business. No, no, but but you but, but you're kind of playing. Oh, oh, Evan can't get nominated because he's not a lady. So I think that's no. That's that's just <laughs> pure aisle, Jesse. It's not funny. I'm kind of no pure seriously. Aisle. Seriously, Jesse, no. I don't even Jesse, see if I'm on the list yet. I don't even. Oh wait, no, it's okay. So this. And is, besides, besides, that would be besides doing them. I mean, you started that this year, Evan. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It so, might so have been late last year. Well, I've had the podcast for like four years. Yeah, but right. And I did a whole the, the pod, K. Dick but, but the, the, yeah, but that's too too many years ago. The, Paul will yes. nominate you if you want to be nominated. Well, it's it's not even a nomination. It's suggesting like you might want to look at. This. I don't, I don't even know how this thing works. It doesn't seem to have it's, it's, the list it's, anymore. It, it's a compilation of people who might be el- who would be potentially eligible for a nomination that you might want to look at. That's all it is. It's just collect people collecting. Oh, oh I see. It's I read, at the bottom read, there. Okay. Okay. There's tabs at the bottom. So semi pro zine loads the fan cast. Fan I'm going cast. into the fan cast right now and looking at the list. Become a teapot, crafting with Ursula, Desi Girls, Girl, Desi Geek Girls, X Herb Ad Astra podcast, Fantasy Book Swap, Flash Science Fiction Night, Geek Culture Quiz, Going Rogue, Hugo Girl, that one I've heard of. Hugo is there, I've heard of that one. If this goes on, don't pant, I've never heard of that one. Um, Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. Just King's yep. things. When, when is Scott gonna get his nomination? It's not a nomination. It's all right. No, Suggestion. Some, 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 you you could yeah. you could put it on there if you wanted to. You could say, "I think this podcast is worthy." I'm going to put it on the spreadsheet. That's what the spreadsheet is for. It does, it's not nominations. It's all right. Eligible? Yes. Yes. It's 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 collection of eligibility of people of what people think might be worthwhile. That's all it is, Jesse. All right. I, so um, if so if so if you think it's uh, I mean, if you think that Evan's podcast is worthy, then um, I mean Evan has American Rise 100 pages time. I'm not sure that's. I mean he does some. He I mean, does more science Google, fiction than almost anybody else, other than well, this well, one. I mean, and I mean that was well, weekly. Well, yeah, right? I mean, I mean well, that. And Scott's I, done a ton, so he should be on. I there. should have got it back when I was doing the film. You should have. That's what I think. Cause but the no problem is, is you have to you have to be active in nominating yourself and promoting yourself and, and, and talking yourself about yourself. Yes, yeah. you need to uh, put on three medals 
and parade down the street and say, look at my mouth. Jesse, no. I believe that is correct. I'm against such self-promotion myself. I think it's... I learned my lesson from that story. Have you read that story, Scott? Uh, Which story? Saki. It's called The Storyteller. No, I have not. It's so funny. It's about a a Saki-like character, sort of a bachelor gay guy who gets on a train with uh, an aunt who is uh, taking care of three children who are not hers. And she tries to uh, keep them from, you know, annoying the man in the car with them uh, for 15 minutes. And she, she starts saying things are interesting that are not interesting. Like, look at those cows. And the kids have questions. She doesn't have any answers. So she tells them uh, uh, what she says is going to be a very interesting story. And it's a really, really bad story. And the kids say, that story sucks. And the man says, oh, let me tell you a story, children. And he tells the exact same story um, that the aunt said. But he has the little girl who was uh, obedient and uh, neat and never asked for ice cream after dinner get medals for all of those things. And then the kids are saying, this story is going in a wrong way. I don't like this story. And then she's rewarded for this by sent to a, a garden that only kids with three medals get, right? <laughs> and in the garden, there's beautiful flowers. And the, the kids are saying, this story is not good. And then uh, a wolf shows up. And it's normally going to eat pigs. Um, and the kids have questions about the pigs. And he answers those questions. And then uh, the girl, uh, because there was no pigs in the garden that day, the wolf goes after the little girl. And the kids start being interested in this, <laughs> the story now. And uh, because the girl has got the three medals and she's so afraid of the wolf and she's hiding in a bush and the medals clink together because she's shaking, the wolf eats her. And then the train pulls into the station and the story's over. And the kids say, as they're getting out of the train, that I think was the finest story I've ever heard. And the other child says, no, that was the finest story that was ever told. (laughs) 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 So it's about being good, right? And what is it? What makes a good story is, you know, that it's actually genuine and interesting and scary (laughs) rather than it's good for you. Saki knew what he was doing. There, I have, I have, I have nominated, I nominated. See, I'm even doing the wrong thing. I have put Evan's podcast on the list, and I put your podcast on the list. How dare you, sir? What about what about Scott? I actually think I, I I qualify. I have, I have sadly not listened to Scott's podcast yet, so I cannot. uh, I'm not going to nominate something I've not actually consumed. I'm going to send you the link so you can listen. And I wouldn't want you to, Paul. I wouldn't (laughs) want you to. So Robert A. Heinlein Book Club begins December 22, 2022. I also have it. Uh, I can, unfortunately, so, I can, so will this be eligible for this year or next year? Paul. Um, just Jesse, I've got to go. Okay. So. Have a good one. Take care, Jesse. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Paul, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Scott. Oh, uh, we have to check and see what he put on the uh, Google Docs. See what what's there. Uh, let's see here. No, that's a Hugo list. Uh, where's the Google Doc? Hmm. Uh, for this list of shows we're doing, right? Jesse, why don't you do this? Because I've got to run too. All right. 
audiobooks to narrate um, today. Let that me I... just ask you, is uh, the 3rd, uh, no, the 12th of March okay for the crawlers? Mm, I don't know why not. All right, I'm putting you on there. Paul, oh, no, Paul. Okay. Evan, you good with that? Uh, I guess. All right. Evan, it's nice to meet you, sir. Yeah, nice to meet you. All right, so I'm going to put everybody on for the crawlers. All right. And then uh, you just send me something, Skype uh, or whatever. Yeah, I will, and I'll I'll ask you to send us your audio for that, too. Then. Yes. Not now. <laughs> I'm nowhere yes. near my home base right now. I Thank understand. You. Uh, yes, okay. please narrate and check out the storyteller. It's on the list. It's really old. It's not science fiction, but it is quasi-fantasy, so maybe you can find a home for it. Okay. It's really short. It's like 11 minutes, maybe, maximum. All right. Fun. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Jesse, for this opportunity. Thank I appreciate you, sir. I appreciate your uh, great narration. Great, really good job. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 All right. So, are you nominated? Let's see what Paul did. Oh, he spelled it wrong. Yeah, we're in that. I don't want to change it, though. <laughs> I don't want to be in it. Why is it called Lady Business? You tell me. I think I it's because it's it. mostly who's in it, into it, right? Looking at the list. Skiffy and Fanty's not ladies. SFF 180 is a dude. Right Good's on there. That's surprising. That's a good show, although it's not really science fiction related as much as, as metafiction. Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast, Literature Science Alliance. What is that? Oh, it's a YouTube. Okay. Octothorpe. What is that? One Flesh, One End, A Locked Tomb Podcast. Oh, that's got to be audio drama or something. Starship Fonzie. What? It's got to be an audio drama. Tea and Sanctuary. Okay, some of these I think Content are... warning for this episode. Capitalism. Oh, is that you what you're writing for yours? That's an Octothorpe. Oh, is it? Yeah. How do you see that? Warning oh, you clicked on their... Um, yeah. Their... Uh, let's see here. Great Wild. Cthulhu. Magic Cave Full of Games. Content warning. COVID-19. Because you can't read the newspaper. Oh, I see. Okay. Well... Just nearly froze to death. Oh, they have, yeah. Wow. Why? Is that a content warning war in Ukraine? This is like a trigger warning, right? Like they're, yeah. you don't want to hear about it. You don't want to hear about capitalism. <laughs> content warning this episode, none. This is serious. This is not like a joke, right? Yeah. They do it every episode. Hmm. Falling out of boats. Are you kidding me? <laughs> None. Okay. None I get. Okay. So, oh, and it doesn't start at the beginning. It looks like episode 65 doesn't have. I've only put one content warning on my podcast. So what was, was it uh, about? It was Octopus, uh, the, the Octopus by and Frank what, Norris. And what was and that? I, and I, I said people with like gluten intolerance. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a comedy piece. Well, because it's about wheat, right? Oh yeah, okay. The, the yeah, but that was a joke. These are not jokes. Racism and sexism. Animal hunting. 
Oh my god. But what about explicit? When you went into iTunes, did you do click the explicit tab or button? Um, I, I'm I'm clean, but but you actually, you swear sometimes. You're bad. Yeah, my my my. The weird thing is the students complain to or like spread rumors that my podcast is full of like I'm swearing all the time. <laughs> there is a couple they, where you swear like a couple times. But, but they must not. have listened to a significant amount if they're hearing me swear. Uh, I don't think so. They're just listening for the swearing. Hmm. Trying to get you in trouble. They're all informers. Oh, yeah. There's a picture of me with my feet on the desk. Oh, my I, God. That the boss has got, and they talk to me. Like, you need to have a talk about professionalism. <laughs> have you ever been in a, have you ever been in like a school? <laughs> Oh my God! Well, see, you are made for for um, a story like uh, like what happened to Conger. Yeah. You would do very badly in the Red Scare, even though you're like operating in a communist country or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Well, now I'm in Taiwan. The same difference. There's one guy I follow on um, Twitter. His account is basically he's mad because he in Calgary, Alberta, his uh, they had an undercover cop come into his pizza shop with a in a wheelchair, um, and he he um, didn't ask to see his vaccination papers, and they uh, shut him down. And oh. that's his his main thing is like he's mad at uh, the government for doing that, which you know just rightly so. Um, but the different, uh, but the thing is, is, you know, like he also says Trudeau's a communist. I'm like, fuck no, he's not. A, I wish he was <laughs> he's not a communist at all. Um, so like they get, they get the wrong terms. Oh, I, I have to have a follow up on that. Um, those con or the curriculum guidelines. Oh I yeah. At, Cause I, I don't teach the, that was crazy. Which is the 20th century. That was um, not so. Good. But we're supposed to be using these standards, which I'm more or less supportive of because I think we need to align like our skills. I don't care much about the content. I think the skills that we should do more to like actually have a progression mm. and and plan it a little bit better because they're ESL students and we need to work on certain skills at the right time. But so I'm more or less supportive of the of using standards. But you know, I just click on them, not thinking much, mm-hmm. but. I decided to look at the grade 10 stuff because <laughs> I want to teach it next year. And I, I, I'm like, it's not, I, I brought this up with the chair of the department. And I said, like, this is really wild. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like worse than I thought it would be. Yeah. And he's like, well, this is California common core. That's like more, the more left wing of the curriculum guidelines in America. And like, I don't, as see, opposed like, to, this is really, yeah, this is really right wing stuff. And, I think um, that, I think that's where it's like what's the difference if that if they both are saying the same thing what's the difference there why are you saying it's right wing versus left wing? He's like yeah it's 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 anti communist and I said it's not even that it's like whoever did this hasn't read any recent scholarship of the last thirty years and it's like so it's like so naked what they're trying to do they're like Stalin hit their pact. Yeah. No one says that. Everyone says like either the Nazi Soviet pact or give it the formal name. I want to show you this one. Like, unless you're being ideological, like they make it sound like Stalin and Hitler like met in a bunker and (laughs) they did. They worked it out. (laughs) 
they're they're going to do communism. Look at this. So this is one I noticed um, that's popping up all over the place. And look at the, oh, well, the look at the interest in it. Had that. Well, the content standards that I showed you had it, they even called Holodomor, which I would yeah, I'd never heard of the term sure. until very recently. Well, I, I've known about it, but it's, I knew that there was a famine in Eastern Europe, but I didn't know that's the idea that phrase. it was on purpose and it was targeting yes. Ukraine because yes. of their anti-communist attitude. So they call it here in the content standard terror famine in Ukraine, right? But look, at, look at the use over time, right? Mm-hmm. What? What? Why is this suddenly so exciting? Because we're pro Ukraine, and we've, we we yeah. got to distract from the fact that there's Nazis in Ukraine. You, U.S. is controlling, you know, this proxy war. We gotta we gotta oh. say that the Russians are evil, the communists are evil. Yeah, like this one here, like Lenin's use of totalitarian means to seize and maintain control, e.g., the Gulag. The Gulag right. is just a prison. Yes. And yeah, all countries have prisons. It's like. Yeah, the Soviet Union had prisons. It's not surprising. And they, mostly the people there were like, like murderers and rapists and. Yeah, I, I don't see a lot of stuff about you know the states in here. This is all. Is this supposed to be like? Yeah. Is this supposed to be world history or just like? No, yeah, this is the world history standards. Okay. And like, even this analyze the Chinese civil war, the rise of Mao Zedong, and the subsequent political and economic upheaval in China, and then they get greatly for cultural revolution and Tiananmen Square uprisings. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, yeah, there's political and economic upheavals, as there are in all revolutions. Um, but why is that the only story we're telling about mm-hmm. communist China? That that was like, and I brought this up with my chair, and he's just like, well, Mao did create economic and political turmoils. Yeah. yeah so I said the same thing. It's like a revolution. And it's like, yeah, that's not by complaint necessarily that there's not some truth to it. It's just like we're reducing this history. I you mean, know, there was a really like good the example. Famine, the famine thing always bothers me because both the famine in the Soviet Union and the one in China were the last famines in countries that had famines regularly for thousands of years, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that there was a famine in late 50s in China, in early 60s, and never again. There was a and guy. There was famines in British India in the 1940s. There was a guy who... Um, He's like a comic book artist who quit DC. Uh, he's a conservative guy. Um, he quit DC because they were making Superman woke and gay and, you know, uh, protesting, which is pretty funny. Superman with the protest sign. <laughs> Anyways, he quit. He was on a, one of those conservative, um, like, uh, oh, it was the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee interviewed him on YouTube. And mostly did he just let him talk because he's a big talker. And he talked about, you know, growing up, uh, in the United States, born there, but his parents are from Libya and he's, he's super anti, uh, communist, right? Um, he's, ta- he's got a t-shirt or a hat that says, uh, join my anti-socialist so- social club, anti-socialist social club. And he's talking, so the thing that really triggered him the most was when they wanted to change Superman from truth, justice, and the American way to truth, justice, and, uh, you know, global peace or something like that. Um, and he was saying how, you know, he came to this country or his parents came to this country and, uh, his father didn't go back to Libya until they killed Gaddafi, right? For him, 
the United States is great because it uh, took them in as refugees, and at, he was drawing comics at his dad's restaurant, and right, they had a successful life, and they're successful immigrants, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't think that, you know, we should change Superman for this woke agenda. I'm like, you have some sympathy for, you know, I mean, Superman's an old-fashioned idea, and I think he's probably not that interesting. So they're trying to jazz him up with gay Superman and in no cape and all the things they try to do to make him interesting to somebody, I guess. Um, and he's like, I don't like this. But the reason his dad is not welcome in Libya is because his dad had been part of whatever group it was that was like uh, the old establishment before Gaddafi kicked him out, right? So was Gaddafi bad for Libya? I'm sure he was bad for some people. But overall, like, I standard of living in Africa, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, of course he's upset. But you got lots of Cubans upset in in, uh, Florida. Those are all the guys who were profiting from, you know, being an occupied country of the United States. Now they've got, you know, the highest... uh, uh, health, the health comes in like North America, right? It's yeah, like, that's, I, I was actually saying this exact thing with my chair about China. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe if you look at GDP, like in the Mao era, mm-hmm. China didn't grow as fast as some other countries, but in outcomes, development outcomes, mm-hmm. education, women's right. rights. They um, built hospitals, they built schools, health, they yeah, built universities, they made an industry made the industry and now they're you know the massive you know there's lots of bad things in china but anything that happens in china if it, it's bad it happens on a large scale right yeah so this this one's good this is analyzed the causes of the cold war with the free world on one side and soviet client states on the other <laughs> it's like how that's what, what so about uh, what about uh south korea still occupied by the united states right a dictatorship until like like last week, <laughs> but like I mean, same with Taiwan. Germany right? still yeah. occupied by the United States, right? I mean, talk about a client state. <laughs> How do they like? No, when we do it, it's not bad. That's that's the logic. So yeah, this is pretty like it is pretty obviously like whoever wrote this is like not seeing it's like big thing right in front of them and they're not they're not seeing it what was the what was the guy respond uh was was the guy who was trying to make a deal with hitler peace in our time who's that guy prime minister well that's here too. understand the role of appeasement not intervention and domestic destructions that's why he was obviously he tried to implication here is appeasement's bad yeah yeah he tried to i mean stop a war the Soviet Union is trying to stop a war. That was the, the Nazi-Soviet pact was yep. Stalin trying to avoid a war. Yep. And and the lesson we learned yeah, it wasn't good is for that Poland, he shouldn't have done that. He should have done what? <laughs> right? He should have been more like Churchill, which is like war, yeah. war, war. Yeah. There's it's, it's a while. Yeah. But it's it's hard to understand because it seems so out of date. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, read a book before you write this stuff. <laughs> they did. 
and it was a <laughs> it was a school textbook from the 1970s. Okay, here, was, describe the political, diplomatic, and military leaders during the war. Winston Churchill, Roosevelt, Hirohito, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, MacArthur, Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. But not Zukov. Nope. Uh, um, uh, sad. Analyze the Nazi policy of pursuing racial purity against the European Jews in transformation, the final solution, the Holocaust that resulted in the murder of six million Jewish civilians. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine, but it's also leaving a lot of stuff out. Yeah, that's the one here I probably have the least problem with. Discuss the human cost of war with particular attention to the civilian and military losses in Russia, Germany, and Britain, and the United States, China, and Japan. So these these are like write essays? Is that what this is? No, this is the stand. This is what you're supposed to teach the kids. This is what you're supposed to like show they learned by the end of the year through Mm -hmm. like assessment. Compare the economic and military power shifts caused by the war, including the Yalta Pact, develop of nuclear weapons, so not use of, Soviet control over Eastern European, why is Euro-PN nations? I think it was, wait, a line? It must have been hyphenated. It must have been like another line in the other form or something. Nations and economic recoveries of Germany and Japan. So that that, economic recoveries of... Yeah, it's biased in every, every... Aspect. Analyze the causes of the Cold War with the free world on one's <laughs> the free world. <laughs> <laughs> Including competition for influence such places as Egypt, Congo, Vietnam, and Chile. Understand the importance so within the context of this you could do um a lot of fun stuff. But the problem is How about the t- Soviet Union bring us into space. Like that it, could be a learning outcome. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's going right. Well, you know, I mean, one of the arguments they're making is, you know, you have to defeat the Nazis so you can operation paperclip them and harness their <laughs> engineering so you can defeat the real enemy, the communists, right? Like, yeah. at all costs. Okay, well, that's a way to go. What's the sound like over uh, for you? Can you? Can you hear that this is a different space? Because I'm at my mom's, um, and it's very noisy. Yeah, it sounds a little different. There was dogs, uh, a dog barking, even though they're not supposed to have any dogs here. They're going to take them out, but somebody was... Oh, yeah, here, this 10.72, trace the Stalin rest upon the Soviet Union. Well, that's fine. Do that. And here's where it gets problematic. And the connection between economic policies, political po- policies, the absence of free press, and systematic violations of human rights. So they're all looped together, right? Yeah. And then the example is the terror famine in Ukraine. What was that? Where's that one number? That's two, uh, 10.72. 10.72, okay. Terror famine, yeah. That's the whole lot more. So the idea yeah. is that it was like on purpose. Stalin targeted yeah. them on purpose. And I mean, there was the, like, even the idea of like, liquidating the kulaks that was yes we're going to destroy this class but yes. it didn't mean murder them. no it meant eliminate them as a yeah. class interest yeah yeah and some died so yeah like um landlords have to go sometimes mm-hmm. and in a revolution cultural cultural revolution is the same thing right it's like there's a group of people who are in a class who are against the revolution what are you going to do yeah. you could you could uh 
concentration camp them and kill them all. Or you can make them really upset and a lot of them leave the country, which also happened, right? Hong Kong. And I guess Taiwan probably took some immigrants from that. I don't know. I know Canada did. And uh, people who talk, you know, people who um, talk about the cultural revolution, I've heard, you know, my parents, that sort of thing. Like we're getting, we're definitely getting their story, right? I don't think yeah, it's the, the guy, victims of the cultural revolution yeah. tell their story. So and... that uh, that guy, right, talking about um, his father and not going to Libya and being cut off from his family, right? He believes everything, and everything he's saying is true. I don't think he's lying about it. It's just that it's not part of the bigger picture, which is it used to be a country controlled by other countries. And now it's a country controlled by a domestic uh, government. When that happens, yeah. people get but upset. Even during the Cultural Revolution, you had improving public health outcomes and education mm-hmm. outcomes and things like that. And and it was a mass movement against the state, mm-hmm. right? Against a, an entrenched state bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, partially it was Mao trying to claim power for himself after he lost it, but... There was other forces that were, I mean, mm-hmm. workers trying to take control of their workplaces and their cities, like the Shanghai Commune. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's part of the conversation within socialism over like democracy versus Stalinism, mm-hmm. which existed in Eastern Europe. I mean, the fall of the Soviet or fall of, of communism in Eastern Europe was an internal debate within within communist parties over. Soviet influence and democracy and, and those kinds of questions. What do, what do we call a society that we're in right now? If, isn't it more totalitarian yeah. than, than uh, all the ones we're talking about in this list of totalitarian countries? Right. You, well, ha- you have to do this. The, the concept of totalitarianism is was an effort to try to loop the baddies together. Like, right, we, right. We need to the communist. The axis of evil. What what, um, what do they have in common? They don't like freedom. Well, I think most historians would just use the term authoritarian. Yeah. Which, but if you want to use their term, what is more yeah. totalitarian than you know, making you can't you can't uh, you can't protest. If you do protest, you have your bank account uh, seized. Oh. You can't access your funds or pay your bills. You have to have something injected into your body, even though it doesn't work. Right. Like <laughs> when, when, for what purpose? Basically not even like a, a moral purpose is just to make cash for, for this giant set of evil corporations. Well, well, capitalism is authoritarian. <laughs> All you need is a job to know that. <laughs> yes, hence my not wanting one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, so I got, I, I went, I, we were asked to like check yes, no, or maybe for, for going to sign a contract. Uh-huh. If you say yes, you get the contract. If you say no, you don't. If you say maybe, it triggers a meeting with the bosses. Uh-huh. Really. You know, presumably I thought it'd be, here's why we want you to stay. Mm-hmm. For you. <laughs> You're the problem. What can we do to make your life here happier? What can mm-hmm. we do to keep you to stay? That's what it was like in, like, when I was in China, mm-hmm. right? When the same thing happened. I checked, I clicked maybe, mm-hmm. went to the meeting, and I, I talked about my issues with the contract, with the handbook, with like the way things were going, <laughs> what I'd like to see. Trouble. I was very positive, actually. I was mm-hmm. saying, this is what we could do in social studies to 
you know, make move it things ahead to the ways you, you want. And, and talked about things like the school's student learning outcomes and assessments and what we could do better. And then the email I got back, what she said, after, you know, nothing's going to change in the contract. We've talked to the bosses and then the, the I'm going to try to quote it here. It was something like, in, in respect of the last two years, um, and the fact that nothing's going to change, um, you know, this is going to cause frustration, which will lead to unprofessional behavior. <laughs> and we wouldn't want that for anybody. So if you go on to find a different school to work at, wow. we totally understand. They don't want you. Yeah, they clearly don't want me. So I, I changed my thing to yes. I'm going to resign for spite. <laughs> <laughs> I also need a job. So. <laughs> Unfortunately, you do if you want to pay bills and stuff. Just try and minimize your expenses so that you don't well, have to I was, do that. I was trying to make a case why I should, because our chair is leaving. He's yeah. just not resigning the contract at all. So I was going to make a case why I could you be a be good head. head of the social studies. That's right. And yeah, they only they want me. If I, I don't think the only way you I don't play is the game though, like that. Is, so like for me, like. Uh, I don't have much of this administrative stuff, but like, I understand like, um, people want you to, you know, nod and smile even when, but you're like yeah. making, making their lives miserable. Their job as managers is not to have these interesting debates that you and I can have. Not at all. Their job as managers is to like, can't we all get along? I need this job. Right. Yeah. So they don't want to have, they don't really care. Like no matter the guy you're talking to, he says, you know, this is all real stuff. Who cares? <laughs> right? Like it, uh, what does it matter if the kids learn uh, propaganda? Yeah. I have to keep this job. Whereas you're like, mm-hmm. I understand that, but this is false. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like that autism thing coming out. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you just don't understand. They don't care about this stuff. This is they're in the education business, Evan, not in the uh, and the and the good education. stuff they say and they want to the do. Education. They're not earnest about. Yeah. That's what really bothers me. They're not. They're like we want to have standards based assessment. I'm like that's great. We should move towards that. <laughs> and here's how we should do it. We shouldn't. It shouldn't take as long as the Second World War. That's what I told her at the meeting. And yeah. And I said, here's how we could get this done like by the next summer, ready for next year. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to see the contract tomorrow, I presume, and we'll see if they offer it to me. Mm. How about you? They can't really afford it to me. They, they need teachers, so they yeah. probably can't afford it to get rid of me. They wouldn't be upset if, if you left, but. Yeah. Um. So I'm show noting the shining. That's a good show. Yeah, it's a good one. And then, anyways, uh, I'm gonna go. So yeah, I gotta yeah, make some new shows. Um, I will. Our, how's our timing for um that first uh, Heinlein juvenile? Is it gonna work out for you so that you don't have oh, to? Oh, it'll it twice? be well before I get there. Oh, okay, good. It's a lot of stories. All right. Yeah, I knew there was a lot of stories, but I don't. I I can't quite tell what pace you're at. You seem fast, but. There are, I think there's, yeah, isn't there be Beyond This Horizon? That's before Rocket Ship Galileo, I think. That's like a novel, but it's serialized. That's, yeah. 
Pretty sure that's... We did a show on that years ago. This horizon. Yeah, it would be like 15 weeks okay. if I do two a week before I get there. That's great. I, I love that Heinlein has so much. It's going to be a good long run. It says 1942. Yeah, it came out. And then hit, hit uh, in a book form in 48. And some of these stories are actually novellas. Universe, Common Sense. You, oh, if this goes on. Yeah. yeah, but you can knock those out in an afternoon. Right? And there's not that. There's yeah. not, he's, he's not super well known for his short stories, right? He's got He's got, he's mostly a novel guy, but he has a lot of novels. So when you, and I don't think there's a lot of later short stories, is there? Just a few dribbles. Kind of like Philip Dick that way. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, this week I'm going to do Requiem and if this goes on. Okay. Cool. Looking forward to those. Requiem, there's not that much to say about. Yeah, don't be shy. Don't let that idiot uh, who's saying, there's nothing to say. Sometimes it's just a cigar. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you, you pointed out some stuff in that. Ins- I didn't think about it as an insurance story. Of course, it is an insurance story. And what was the other one? Let There Be Light. That was good. Yeah. And I, it does show up later. I know there's a novel where there's a... Some instead of it might be Friday where he, they patent something. Uh, some guy patents something or doesn't patent something because then eventually uh, it would be known how it works and it's just a black box and it works. So he says nobody can replicate it and nobody knows how I did it. So I I don't need to patent it because it's like a it's like inaccessible to them. Right, which yeah. is an interesting like this, idea. Let there be light. It's more like the cotton gin. It's like once it's yes. out, everyone can do it. Yes, which is interesting because it's not a theme I had thought of before. I mean, I know he's unconventional, but I hadn't thought of him as a copyright guy. Um, he he renewed almost all his copyright, so obviously he was in the business. But mm-hmm. as uh, being ideal versus um, and what we can do, you know, he was legally married. But it doesn't mean <laughs> he liked it. Yeah. All well, right. Engels was a capitalist, right? <laughs> was he okay? Yeah, I, I don't know. He was a factory owner. That makes sense. He said, "The what I'm doing for my job is a terrible thing. We should stop me doing this." That makes sense. Somebody should do that. It doesn't discredit anything he said. No, it's it doesn't. Just, it, it's, it's just he's a human being. That's right. Like I'm eating meat and I'm I'm hitting this cow on the head. I shouldn't be doing well, this. Well, you know, Marx did speculation. He he actually liked to do that. Huh. Apparently, he would like. Well, you gotta know the enemy. Try to make money on the stocks. But right. he was he definitely speculation. wasn't doing very well because he was pretty poor. Yeah, but once in a while, he got a little bit of money from it. Hmm. But it's it's the world we live in. You it gotta, sure is. You can't you're always going to be hypocritical. Well, it's not it's not so hypocritical if you. Say it needs to change, right? It's whereas, oh. fuck you, do what I say, you slave, <laughs> um, sort of thing, right? That's a, hip, hip, being a hypocrite is a big deal, I think. But yeah, whatever. Well, I mean, I think it's not hypocrisy to live in a society you're critiquing. I guess. No, it's not. But but like, but by not saying you know the truth about what's going on. And saying, you know, yeah. lying about it. 
That's, that's the hypocritical part. Yeah, I don't I don't blame him for trying to live in a society. But if you say if, right. if 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 the upshot of this is you quit your job and say, I need to get some cheap labor to exploit and not tell them about this fact that they're being exploited. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to make so much money from these immigrants that I'm going to hold uh, their uh, visas over. Oh, man. Then you know, we say you're bad. Mm-hmm. But if you say what okay. I'm doing is wrong, but it's the only way for me to make it put keep body and soul together. And if it's true, then you say, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's tough." I don't know if Thomas Jefferson can make that case. <laughs> <laughs> only way I can keep body and to soul together is uh, exploiting my workers and having sex with my slaves. <laughs> Maybe not. All right, thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. I'll see yeah, you on Twitter. I'll see you. Bye, bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. What happened to your sinuses? Mm, I often chew gum before a podcast. I generally don't hear you doing it. Mm. This time I did. Well, I can take it out. but um, No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just noting. I'm not criticizing. Yeah. Um, it's not. It won't be in the, most of the podcast, I think. I've done it before. I've done um, it before, but you're particularly loud today with your well, gum chewing Well, I'm in a new setup, so I'm going to see about making it less noisy as we get closer. I'm going to turn the gain down probably. Hello. Good morning, Scott. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. How are you doing? It's funny. I'm calling I'm you doing Scott great. because I know another Scott and I'm thinking, oh, that's the wrong Yeah, no, it's the way we're Scott. So this is Paul. Paul, Scott, Scott, Paul. Hi. Hi, Paul. Uh, Paul uh, is podcast regular. Scott's the narrator of the audiobook we just listen to we just listen to mm-hmm. and then we're gonna have evan too but i'm what I'm, hopes con- yeah we'll confirm what? um yeah so i'm gonna yeah, the world. Ping him on. yeah he's over in taiwan um does this sound different to you scott uh different than what last time we talked earlier this week no sounds the same to me okay good it's a very noisy room compared to my normal. Paul noticed my gum. And I also have a squeaky chair over here, Paul. This is terrible. I just heard the chair. I, I just know. Heard the i got to be careful. I got I got the podcasting keyboard. It's a silent keyboard. But You and those silent keyboards. You need a silent keyboard. I'm going to be tapping away looking things up. Fact-checking, fact-checking, fact-checking Jesse in real time. Well, sometimes you need fact-testing, Jesse. When, when have I spouted some facts that were false? We, ha- uh, we don't need to go into a whole logic. No, I don't, yeah, well, you, you can't find one. I try not to. Just because I'm thinking of one right immediately doesn't mean there isn't that. It's a big so, list of things to check after the podcast. All right. Um, where's Evan? 
Let me get on. Okay. I don't know where Evan is. I'm here. Oh, he's there. Oh, hello. Um, hello. Uh, we, I also wanted to tell uh, Paul, even though he wasn't on that one because he was in Tibet at the time, we lost a podcast oh, I've episode. To, I've never been to Tibet. Oh, sorry, Nepal. Same difference. Wait a minute. Two wait, countries wait. in Asia that are exactly the same country. No, they are not. Je- 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 Jesse, you want to get yourself hurt, you say that in either Tibet or Nepal. You'll get yourself hurt. I'll get me punched by uh, Indiana Jones' girlfriend, underage girlfriend. No, I'll get, get you punched by a Sherpa. It, it, those are the guys in Tibet, right? No, they're also in Nepal. Are they in both? Um, Yes. Okay. Um, but the, but the, I mean, they... they, they they feel they, you know, they have their own independent culture. Actually, there's a piece of Nepal is actually kind of an actual quasi-independent kingdom tucked into Nepal. I not heard about this before. Hmm. A couple months ago, I asked my friend who organized the Nepal trip, and he said, "Yeah, he'd like to go there sometime, but they are very, very, very close to visitors." So uh, before we get too deep in into this, I wanted to say oh, there's a missing episode because um, I had no record of a. Uh, call so like an episode just didn't record so i'm going because i'm using this uh, computer i don't normally use on i'm going to turn on the built-in skype recorder okay uh, that's fine and uh, if you will record too paul that'd be good i i i will all right I, you sure i was in nepal not somewhere else with because nepal uh, was i said that but you're saying to nepal so i i was i was I was. I've not been in Asia except my recent. It was, last, it was six months ago. Six months ago, I was Seven not in Nepal. Ago? I don't know. I was man. not. I was not in Asia. Six months ago. Let's look was, at the schedule and see where you were. Uh, probably at some WorldCon or something. I, I might have been at World. No, I might have been at. Well, All right. this is the one that Trish was on. The thing correct? in the woods. Yeah. It doesn't okay, so say why it? you're not there. It just says you're not available. So it wasn't WorldCon then. Or Gen Con because it was six oh five, June fifth. I don't know what I was doing on June fifth. Um, maybe traveling. Maybe travel because well, it says you're available, uh, not available for Orphans of the Sky or for Long Tomorrow either. What was the missing episode? It's uh, the thing in the woods. Harper uh, Williams. Was I in that? Oh, I it says you there. were, but um. Who knows if you showed up? <laughs> it has a question. I don't remember mark. it. Yeah, you probably weren't. Anyways, I don't I'll be remember. Back in a little bit. But you you also I, don't record, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember why I was not. It's okay. But Let, let's not, not around. I'm just long something. story short, I'm recording multiple ways, hoping that this is. Going to I, I might have been like it. Yeah, it might have been Britain or something. I don't Could've know. Could have been. Or in South Carolina. All right. So, um, apparently, uh. Not Scott. Apparently, Paul has a hard out at some time in the future, so we'll worry about that. Yes. Um, upcoming noon is noon, 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 ten a.m. your time. Noon my time is the must, must, right. must leave. All right. So the skull is today. Next week, the Moon Maid by Edgar Rice Burroughs, Shadows right. of Zambula, uh, Robert E. Howard, Space Viking, Golden Slave, Venom Business, Rocket Ship Galileo. I don't. Oh yeah, Paul signed up for that. And then Unseen Unfeared by Francis Stevens. And then I think there was some stuff I was sending to Evan. Uh, oh, maybe it was to Paul, too. I don't know. There was a book that was um, 
just came out that Alec Navalli re- reviewed. Um, you so, did send this to me, but tell no? me more. Okay, well, tell, I'll, tell I'll me more it about it. Um, trying to remember the name of it. I have to send it to somebody in order to remember it. Uh, holy shit, snacks says Paul. No, says Evan. There we go. Yeah, that the holy shit snacks is not a Paulism. No, so. <laughs> no. Uh, so I know that wasn't me because that was not some. Oh, else. you know, I let's see. Maybe I said it to Alec Navalli. Uh, damn, I don't know. It's some book he reviewed that was in New York Times. I'm like, New York Times sucks. But this book he reviewed good. in the New York Times. I believe or so. Yeah. Um, when did he review this? Uh, cozy catastrophe novel called The Hopkins Manuscript. The uh, Hopkins. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. I'll send it to the group chat here. R.C. Sheriff. Yeah, and I never heard of that guy either. Sociopolitical dystopian novel published in 1939. Narrated with the moon collides with the earth and his life afterward. Uh, it's probably by a British guy. Yeah, so Evan doesn't care because he's racist against British people. I can't trigger Evan this morning. And there's a, there's a, there's an, there's an audiobook of this? Uh, yeah, it's out this month. If there's an audiobook of this, I'm interested. Yeah. Interesting, right? Because it's... Where was this in the history of science fiction? I never heard of it. The foreword has the perspective of an academic society 1,000 years in the future, finding the manuscript as a historical document. So it's an interesting, yeah, interesting it's framing device, meta. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would be down for this. I think it's paywalled, but... Um, Alec Navalli likes it, so... Most New York Times is at this point. Yeah. All right. We get Evan back. Is he back from his trigger fest? Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Like trigger fest? I was trying to trigger you and nothing happened, so... I was was drinking coffee before. But you're twitching (laughs) on the floor after I said you were racist against British people because you wouldn't review (laughs) British books. Only American books. All right. Yeah. Um, What's the name of the podcast? I can't change it. Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, Scott uh, is, is with us, and he's the guy who narrated the audiobook. Scott Miller oh. is his name. He's quiet, though. Maybe yeah, I'm I, here. Oh, maybe I triggered him, too. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't get triggered. I just ignore it. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're used, you're used to it. All right. Um, so... Uh, who wants to do a skull show? I'm ready. All right. Evan, you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, Scott, then what we're going to do, I'm going to say, hi, I'm Jesse. Paul's going to say, hi, he's Paul. And then Evan's going to do the same. And then you can introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention your your two podcasts, uh, the one on YouTube and the one on regular podcast, podcast podcaster things. Okay. Okay. And then... Uh, We'll start talking about the skull. The skull. All right. And, I, and I don't, remind me, I have to trigger Paul later about uh, this being an adaptation of the Terminator or vice versa. Oh, we're going to have a discussion about that. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, skull. All right. Here we go. Uh, I can hear Paul's keyboard here. Uh Wait, I'm not, I'm not quite ready. I'm not, not used ready? to this okay. computer. I'm looking for, oh, okay, I got it. I got Edge or something on this thing. Here we go.